It's July, which means it's college football preview season. Unfortunately, your favorite college football magazine is already out of date. To keep up with transfers, injuries, and position battles this summer, consider becoming a CFB Winning Edge Tier 2 Patreon supporter. For a small monthly fee, you'll receive access to our 2021 FBS team profiles, which includes over 10,000 individual player ratings, daily updated depth charts, the most in-depth returning production database on the market, projected point spreads for every game all season, and much more. Visit patreon.com slash Edge to learn more and to sign up. Welcome back, everybody. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. Joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge, at Xavier Trish. Follow him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And today, we are going to be previewing the Mac. If you guys made it through the uh, long-form pod that we did last week, congratulations. Your prize is... Another conference preview, and this time it is the MAC. Two fewer teams, so this one should be a little bit shorter. I've also been promised by Nick that this will be shorter for sure. But uh, uh, the, try, the, I, I don't are remember fun. making a promise. I, I remember did, I, he promised. Xavier heard it. I heard the <laughs> promise. So I was here uh, for this. <laughs> but uh, I mean, look, we'll we'll tighten it up here for everybody. You know, you don't don't have to. There's three and a half hour pods. I mean, it's great. It's jam packed full of information. But those you have to. I, I know for me. I usually have to break those up into listening uh, sessions, which is fine. You well, know, as long as we do have a plan to, to break them up a little bit and should be able to very uh, true. put those out for everybody uh, on YouTube before long. We don't know exactly how quickly they'll be out, but uh, I think that'll be good for summer. People you know, might not have three and a half hours uh, to sit aside for each, <laughs> uh, each conference. But you know, if you want to look at an individual team, we've, we've got a plan in place to uh, hopefully get those so you can find who you want to listen to when you want to listen to it. So, right. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, look, the, the Mac is, it's a lot like, you know, it's a lot like conference USA where there is, there's a bunch in the middle here. Ball state won the Mac last year, right. Uh, beating, um, uh, beating Buffalo. But uh, th- there are a ton of teams here that are uh, that are capable of winning the MAC. So it's 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 not a dart throw because there's some bad teams in the MAC too. Uh, but it's not a dart throw. So I think it's a little it's a little closer bunch together at the top than Conference USA is. But it is wide open. There are many teams that can win the MAC, right, Nick? Yeah, I think so. And and usually I think of the MAC as being the most wide open uh, conference in college football. I, I think this year, Conference USA probably has a good argument. Might be uh, a little bit more where I mean, I could I could see ten different teams making a case to to win Conference USA if, if you know something uh, clicks right for for that individual team in the MAC. I think there are clearer tiers and there are two that are just obvious 
the the bottom two teams in the MAC. That I don't I don't think we have in Conference USA. UTEP, you know, had our our lowest projected record, but we talked about how they could potentially be a bowl team. I don't think anybody at this point uh, expects Akron or Bowling Green to make a run at a bowl game in a perfect scenario. So there there is a little bit more of a uh, you know pecking order, at, or at least you know maybe three clear tiers championship contenders, the middle where it could go either way. And then those teams, you know, those two teams definitely at the bottom, uh, arguably, you know, Northern Illinois, maybe in there as well. So there, there seemed to be, there seems to be a little bit better, more clear order in the Mac at least. And we're not going to start out with one of those top teams because like we did last week, we're going to go in alphabetical order and we start with the Akron Zips who have had it rough, but Tom Arth did get them over the hump. They beat Bowling Green in a big win, 31 to three on December 5th, but their next game was a 56, seven loss to Buffalo. They finished one and five. Arth is one and 17 at Akron now. And our official uh, record projection for them is two and 10. We have them. Uh, the DK total is two. We have them favored to win one town edges in one Nick. So it looks like it might be another long year for Akron, right? Yeah, it could be. And, and they almost lost their head coach to the NFL. It sounded like Tom Arth, you mentioned one in 17 so far in two years there, but uh, his former defensive coordinator is Brandon Staley, who's the new head coach of the Chargers. And it looked like for a little while that Arth was, uh, you know, heavily considering a, a job on the staff there for, for the Chargers. So uh, they were somewhat fortunate, I think, to, to get him back. Um, even though things have not been going well, it seems that he's, you know, putting in the effort to build them uh, the hard way, but but maybe, you know, setting a, a solid foundation to contend, you know, probably not this year, but but maybe uh, sometime in the, the not too distant future. But they're still certainly looking up uh, at a lot of teams higher in the standings. You know, last year they finished uh, last in team performance in, in our overall rankings, uh, 126th on offense, 124th. Uh, passing offense. They were last defensively as well, uh, or actually, excuse me, second, second to last, I should say. UMass, I believe, finished uh, lower in, in both team performance ratings. But, you know, there, there were very few bright spots overall. Uh, didn't, you know, perform very well on the offensive or defensive lines, 122nd in our performance ratings for the offensive line, 127th on the defensive line. Uh, you know, maybe the, the only real bright spot was the running game. Tion Dollard, you know, had a couple of big games. Uh, they were able to get that, you know, decisive win over Bowling Green, but there's still a lot of work to be done. They rank 126th overall in roster strength, 126th on offense and 123rd on defense. So, you know, just looking at the roster there, there's, not a ton of hope that this is a, a team that is set up to compete uh, even in, you know, its division and in, in a, what should be wide open Mac, but uh, there are two sort of uh, positions maybe of, of promise on, on offense, at least at quarterback, Cato Nelson should be back. Uh, he was injured, did not play at all last year, but played 25 games, you know, or, or excuse me, has started 25 games for Akron 
during his career there. Uh, so he's, you know, in, in likelihood, uh, or excuse me, he, he is likely to get that starting job back, but he will be competing with Zach Gibson, who is the returning starter. And also they brought in uh, former Juco All-American and DJ Irons. So they should have a an improved quarterback situation. And that's important because, like I mentioned, Dollard was the, the real bright spot of the offense last year. He's run into some legal trouble. And though it sounds like he will be back after running uh, rushing for you know, over 660 yards last year, averaged almost six yards per carry. Um, sounds like he'll be back, but, you know, maybe there's a suspension in there somewhere. But they do have Anthony Williams Jr., a transfer from Michigan State. They do have uh, Cole Guest still on the, the roster. He also did not play last year because of an injury, but a transfer from Indiana. So two P5, Big Ten transfers at running back, plus Dollar, who had a, a really good year last year in a small sample size. You expect they'll be able to to find somebody to lean on in the running game if that offensive line, which does return all five starters, everybody who who uh, played a significant snap last year or any snaps actually is is back uh, on the offensive line. So that's good. And and then at receiver, they did lose a couple of players uh, that were higher on the depth chart to the transfer portal, but they're bringing back two starters in George Qualls and Tony Grimes Jr. Not even technically a, a starter last year, but Michael Matheson's probably their best receiver or was their best receiver maybe last year. And then Andre Williams, who also did not play in 2020, is back. And he's actually the highest rated as far as VGR Plus goes. Uh, a guy who you know played 140 snaps, has made 12 starts, most experienced receiver really on the roster. They get him back after not missing or excuse me, after not playing last year as well. So, uh, you know, there's some promise there defensively. Uh, yeah, they, they are bringing in a couple of, uh, again, P5 transfers in the front seven. They do have Bubba uh, Arslanian, who was an all-Mac performer, you know, will make a ton of tackles at, at linebacker. They do bring back some, you know, promising players in the secondary. But overall, this is still one of the weaker rosters in the MAC. They actually play one of the tougher schedules in the MAC. And so it's fairly easy to, to see why they're only favored in one game. You know, they do have a talent edge in just one game. Our uh, Prism projected scoring margin or stats only model has them favored in two. But, you know, all of that combined, uh, even if we add up all the projected wins, you know, game by game, we only get to 2.25. So really don't see much hope for them getting to three wins to go over the uh, DraftKings uh, posted win total. But there, I think, are some things to like about the long-term future of the program. If they stay patient with Tom Arth, if he does stick around, doesn't you know end up joining an NFL uh, coaching staff or, or you know what have you, I, I think this is building toward a team that could be competitive in 2022, 2023, but I still, they're, they're a long way away. Yeah. And Xavier, if you look at the schedule here, I mean, we have them like, like we said, favored to win one game that's against FCS Bryant. And, right. and then, uh, after that, their next best shot is a 41% chance against Bowling Green, which they did win last year. Everything else is 22% and lower. So doesn't right. look like so, it's going to be a fun year for the Zips. No, um, you know, I, I think you hit it right on the head there. 
do they reach their two win total given to them by uh, by DraftKings? I think they they could. It's very well possible. Um, their non conference schedule is pretty tough. You know, at Auburn, at Ohio State, and even going against Temple is no is no get easy game at all whatsoever. Uh, you know, and I think Temple will be a most a much improved team than they were last year. Uh, I think they will beat Bryant, and then really the game in which they hit the total or not is going to be that game at Bowling Green. Um, and, and you know, I think Nick hit right on the head. Their future. Uh, prospects look a lot better, in my opinion, than their current prospects. I think you're still waiting for a couple of guys to show, you know, to, to show up from the from you know uh, that are younger at the moment, may not play as much, uh, but they have in the coffin uh, for for later in the cabinet for talent later down the line. My biggest <laughs> thing with them, I know I said in the coffin, and I was like, wait, <laughs> wait, I meant to say oh. in the cabinet. Yeah, uh, my bad. Uh, but hey, if you're an Akron fan, the the, the season might be dead after the Bowling Green game. So, uh, you know, going to Miami, uh, Ohio, Buffalo, Ball State, they don't, unfortunately for them, they don't see Northern Illinois either, who's a team I thought they they might have a toss-up game against. If they were to play them, they don't see them this year. Uh, Unfortunately for them, yeah, I I don't see – I'm not going to make that bet. I'm not putting any money on them to go over three – or over two, excuse me. Um, And pretty much this is one of those years that if you're an Akron fan, you're looking for small victories. Uh, you're looking for victories within games. Uh, you know, maybe the offense comes around this year and you're able to put up a bunch of points. Yes, the defense may not stop anybody, but maybe the offense is, you know, uh, shows life. Maybe the defense has a couple of games where they hold teams under their, you know, their season average. They, they that's, that's the type of stuff that you're looking for going into this year. And they're going to need it if they're going to get out of the basement of the uh, MAC when it comes to uh, commitments. They finished 121. In the national rankings this year, uh, they finished twelfth, which is dead last in the MAC this season. Um, and I was, I was a little surprised that they only hit the transfer portal for three players. I'm perfectly honest with you. Now, granted, obviously, kids have to want to go to Akron, uh, but I'm a little bit shocked, especially when we talked last week about Conference USA and some of the teams that had massive amounts of transfers. I mean, we're talking about 12, 15 transfers coming in. That a team that you know was you know as bad as they were last season, didn't dig into a transfer portal that I thought was wide open this year, especially with kids not losing a year of eligibility last year, having that opportunity to go right in and play for a team that they know they'll start with right away or start for right away. I was a little bit surprised they didn't go so hard in the transfer portal. And they're kind of relying on the, you know, the 13 kids who signed uh, 11 and 10 on top of the three kids that they brought in the transfer window. Now we move over to ball state and this is the complete opposite of Akron. This is the, Uh, the, the, this team, like we said, they lost their opener to Miami, Ohio, but then they ran the table after that. They beat Buffalo for the Mac title. They beat a San Jose state to finish seven and one. They were great last year and we have them, uh, our official record projection is seven and five for them, five and three in the conference. Uh, the win total for them is seven and a half. We have them favored to win 10 town edges in seven, Nick. Uh, I think. You know, this team returns, I think it's seven all-MAC players. But one of our questions here is, can Drew Plitt be more than average? And that's going to be, obviously, one of the biggest factors as to whether Ball State can uh, double up and win another MAC championship. Yeah, that that will certainly be the key. And uh, I failed to mention Akron was 127th in our uh, preseason power rankings, which is just one uh, out of the, the bottom spot in the Mac. Well, Ball State is 75th, which is in in the mix to be at the top. They are not our top rated uh, Mac team. They're actually fourth, but it's it's pretty tight in that top four. And as the defending champions, 
return what just about or I think it's 10 starters on offense, 10 on defense, something along those lines. I mean, a ton of production coming back. They're top 20 in overall returning production. Uh, they're top 30 in offensive returning production and 15th in, in defensive returning production, the way we calculate it. So, uh, you know, there, there's a lot to like about Ball State. And it, it makes sense that our numbers are very high on them, you know, with that production coming back, you've got players like Justin Hall, who's an all-conference receiver and I believe is the FBS active leader in uh, receptions and, you know, just has been an incredible uh, option for Drew Plitt the last couple of years. And I think there's an argument to be made. He's not even the most talented receiver on the roster. Johannes Tyler had a huge end of the season, uh, was really, really impressive in, in those uh, wins over Buffalo and San Jose State really coming on is a big target where Hall's, you know, kind of the uh, shorter, smaller, uh, shiftier type guy. But then they also brought in Jayshon Jackson, a transfer uh, from Cincinnati, who you expect, you know, will, will come in and, and give them one of the better trios in the MAC, certainly, if, if not, you know, group of five. I believe actually, I, I just did an update to our CFF rankings and Ball State with, with Hall and uh, Johannes Tyler uh, have the top uh, of duos, of wide receiver duos. They are the, the top duo in the group of five. And I believe there's only one other uh, FBS team that has two wide receivers ranked in the top 35 of, of our uh, CFF rankings. And that's Ohio State with Chris Olave and, and Garrett Wilson. So, I mean, we're talking about a, a really, really uh, excellent. That's a potent offense to drop in the MAC. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, so if Drew Plitt is going to be, you know, more than average, I mean, you know, if that's the question, you you think with that amount of weapons at, at receiver going up against, uh, you know, some of the weaker conferences in college football in conference, you would expect, yes, that, that he's going to at least have an opportunity uh to be above average and, and if he's if he's not you know then then ball state could be in trouble they are a a very interesting team to me because I, I think sometimes of programs that are steady builders and ball state has been a program that is built steadily under head coach mike new that's what akron's trying to do i think under tom arth and then it paid off big time last year with a conference title but i think that you know last year's mac uh title race was really so congested there were four teams uh that were in the mix the entire time and ball state was was somewhat fortunate to get there now they did improve over the course of the entire season and they you know won the games they had to win to get there but uh they had a 26 percent post-game win expectancy in their second game against Eastern Michigan, a game that they won 38-31. Uh, they were right on the, the fence of 50% against Toledo in a game that they won 27-24. They had a 22% win expectancy uh, post-game against Western Michigan. So two, two games where on paper you look at the advanced uh, stats, you would expect 
that that's, uh, you know, games that they would, would lose on average more than half the time. They end up getting close wins in, in those games, uh, win a coin flip against Toledo, who was in the mix for the MAC title. And, you know, that's not to say that it would necessarily go the other way if, if they played that game again. But uh, you wonder, you know, could they have been a little bit fortunate, not lucky necessarily, but fortunate to win a couple of games that, you know, statistically maybe they shouldn't have and then is that going to catch up with them a little bit in 2021 and and I think the way of course to avoid that is if they get great play at the quarterback position and they're going to need it because you know they did lose Caleb Huntley free agent signing of the Atlanta Falcons uh their you know top uh, returning uh, starter at, at running back is a fullback. You know, they do still utilize a, a fullback there, but, uh, you know, is Ty Evans going to uh, be able to take over that tailback role? Or are they going to get a, a freshman in the mix? There are a couple that, you know, have some some real promise, it, it seems. Uh, so it, it's, it's, you know, I, I do have a little bit of question about Ball State, but I think that they certainly have the weapons on offense. And then I haven't spent any time yet talking about defense. I'll just do it quickly. This is one of the best defenses in the MAC. Uh, they've got two returning All MAC players in the secondary. They've got three returning All MAC, either first or second team at uh, in the linebacker core. So they actually rank in the top 25 nationally in our linebacker rankings. They rank in the top 40 nationally in uh, the back seven in our rankings, both of which are best in the MAC. Uh, their secondary ranks second in our MAC rankings. And the defensive line, you know, they lost a couple of players there, but they're still a top half defensive line. So, uh, you know, I think this could be uh, certainly one of the best defenses of the MAC, you know, uh, put that together with what could be again one of the best offenses in the MAC, and they should absolutely uh, be in contention again for the MAC championship in, in 2021. Xavier, how does the schedule line up for uh, for the squad? What, what do you think? Do you think that Nick's right and maybe a couple bounces they had last year aren't going to add up? I mean, they have uh, Penn State's tough. Uh, you know, uh, Wyoming is tough. So they have a, a little bit of a tough non-conference as well. Yeah, but I, I will say this. You know, yes, the bounces absolutely have to go right for you. But when you're able, when the when they do, you build confidence off of that. You know, as a player, you don't, you know, that the bounces go right for you sometimes, but you don't think about it going into the next season. Like, well, if we hadn't of, if this hadn't happened last year, then we wouldn't have been there. You don't, you don't feed into it as much. You know, the numbers speak towards it, but as a player. Nine times out of 10, you don't really look at the numbers all that much either. Um, so, you know, you don't really feel that kind of pressure when the ball is just, you know, I, I don't remember anybody that I've talked to from that those Auburn teams ever caring that Chris Davis, you know, was able to get there and do what he had to do to get to the national championship that year or the balls that bounced for them that season either. So when you're a player, it's a little bit different. Uh, obviously, outside looking in, you're like, well, if, you know, a couple of situations were opposite, they could have obviously had a less, uh, had a worse season than what they had. But what I will say this is, they do get a lot of good home games. You know, Central Michigan's at home. 
I'm really looking at the Buffalo game for them next season is also at home for them, which I think is a big plus uh, as a B- Buffalo has the, as the um, outside of Toledo is the other only other team that has seven plus wins uh, projected by DK for this conference. So I think that's good. They also do get Toledo at home as well. So when you get those home games, it does help you out a little bit. You know, yes, you may come in maybe not as talented as a Toledo team, which we'll talk about later in today's uh, episode, but Getting that game at home, they've also labeled it as family weekend. I don't know if that's a good idea um, or a bad idea uh, for that game to be kind of, you know, uh, when your parents are supposed to come into town and everything like that. Uh, But it it does add an incentive for you not to want to get your butt kicked in front of your mom and dad. So I guess that's a good thing. Uh, But when I look at their schedule, I think that they can run the table because of the amount of home games that they do get and the home games that they have are against the biggest teams. I think that's a really big thing, especially for college players to be able to get those home games because honestly going on the road, you know, and obviously this will flip next season, but you know, having to play your toughest opponents on the road is just taxing. That's really what it is. You know, it's already tough to travel throughout your conference as it is. But when they're also probably your most physical game and your most stressful game, then that adds on to it. Having a little bit of that home cooking will definitely help them this year. I think this team can go over seven and a half. Um, I'm not going to bet on it because, I, you know, I've, I've put some pretty big bets down already, as we've talked already. Uh, but I, I'm going to I'm going to withhold from putting a bet down on it. But I really like. Uh, them to go over seven and a half because of the fact that they have home games. They're also doing really well on the recruiting trail uh, from just to give you guys an idea in 2020 or in 2019, excuse me. Yeah. In 2020, they finished 123rd in the national rankings last year. They finished or this year they finished 93rd last year. They finished ninth in the Mac this year. They finished sixth. So they're progressing in the right direction as well on the recruiting trail, which is only going to make them better as, as they progress. And, you know, I, I was just talking about how I felt like Akron should have dove more into you know the transfer portal, the complete opposite by Ball State. Ball, uh, Ball State should not have. They had a pretty good team, and they added some talent on to there from some pretty big universities. You know, uh, you know Chase Bishop, uh, cornerback from Tennessee, and uh, Damon Kaler, uh, offensive tackle from Michigan State. These are guys, especially Chase uh, Chase Bishop, is a guy who probably is going to come in and at least compete for a starting spot on a defense that was already, as Nick alluded to, really, really good. Uh, so I, I'm excited. To, I'm ex- excited to see what this Ball State team can do if they can, you know, you know, expand on what they were able to do last season. Now, the word miserable might not be strong enough to describe <laughs> what Bowling Green went through last year. Uh, they had that blowout last to, Ak- to Akron, who won one game. That was their one game. They mm-hmm. were 0-5, and they were outscored by an average of 33.6 points per game, which is just a- an insane number. We have them projected to go 3-9. and nine. Their DK win total because of last year is 1.5. Uh, we have a favor to win in two. Talent edges in two as well, Nick. So uh, Bowling Green, is it as bad as it looks? It's it's pretty bad. I mean, you know, <laughs> played a, a conference-only schedule, an act schedule. Uh, lost, as you said, by an average of 33.5 points per game. Um, looking at the post-game win expectancy numbers, every – you know, all but one game was a 0% post-game win expectancy. Uh, that one where they, you know, put up something was 3% in the loss against Akron. So, I mean, that's that's as bad a season uh, as we've seen. I mean, certainly as bad a season as we saw out of anybody last year. And there are only a handful of teams I can think of that, you know, would, would make an argument 
of the last four or five years for a worse season. So it it was very bad. Miserable is probably a, a good word for it, if not you know something something worse. And looking at first glance, you know it, it's it's difficult to imagine things getting much better at least quickly. And part of that is because, you know, in a year where a lot of people return, a lot of starters, a lot of production, uh, Bowling Green is, is Bowling Green is going to be one of the uh, lowest ranking teams, certainly in the MAC, if not FBS, in returning production. They're like 118th overall, according to our calculations. Only Buffalo uh, returns less. They uh, rank 118th on offense, also second only to Buffalo. And then 112th defensively is the lowest uh, number as far as returning production percentage in the MAC. So, uh, you know, they were bad last year and they are losing some players that played significant snaps and and, uh, had a big role on that team. Now, of course, we've talked plenty of times before that just because a team is experienced, brings back a lot of players, doesn't mean they'll get better. Sometimes uh, addition by subtraction is a thing. And, and you know, there are some whispers uh, behind the scenes that maybe they got out some of the guys who were, uh, you know, not great locker room guys or, or what have you, starting to replace them. Uh, some, you know, a few transfers dotted here or there, including some relatively high profile uh, P5 transfers. Uh, but then they, you know, in, in 20. 20 in the 2020 class they recruited really really well and actually you know it was a thing for uh most of that off season around national signing day talking about how bowling green had a higher ranked class than usc in 2020 i think usc might have snuck above them uh at the very very end but for most of that cycle you know bowling green was toward the top of the mac and and they were you know in the double digits, at least nationally, and, and ahead of uh, a, a specific team, USC there. But, uh, you know, they brought in a Power 5 transfer from Bowling Green and Mac McDonald. He did not perform very well last year. You know, completion percentage well under 50%. Uh, was very, very disappointing. I uh, was reading through the, the PFF preview magazine, and they talked about how poorly he graded out in a clean pocket and just, you know, things that you would expect him to be able to, to you know, just complete normal, relatively easy passes, uh, they struggled to do last year. You know, hopefully they will uh, benefit from a transfer in Austin Osborne, who also reading through that magazine, I, I learned, didn't realize this before, but he was a high school uh, teammate of Matt McDonald. So I kind of wondered, like, why is this guy transferring? He's a, a Colorado, or excuse me, a, a California native, uh, transferring to Bowling Green. He, he was coming from Washington. Why in the world did he end up there? Well, his high school quarterback's there. So maybe they'll be able to, you know, kind of rekindle some magic, provide a little bit of a spark in the passing game because last year Bowling Green ranked 127th in our uh, passing offensive team performance. They were 125th overall on offense. And, and uh, the only real bright spot was a running game where they had a true freshman, Terion Stewart, who, came through and and really showed a lot of promise, had a couple of big games, looks like maybe a a potential future star, Uh, but it's going to need a little help in the passing game. It's going to need a little help on the offensive line because though they did rank actually in the top 50 in our O-line performance rankings, uh, this is one of the, again, you know, least experienced units in the MAC. They do return three starters, but really only – two uh, players with, you know, more than half a dozen starts 
uh, to their credit. And so, you know, they've, they've got a little bit of work to do to build up offensively. Got to get better quarterback play. But, you know, they at least do have some promise there with Terry on Stewart. The defense was bad, but it could there, – there's, I think, some reason uh, to be – a little bit more optimistic about the defense. They did rank 125th in defensive team performance last year, 119th against the run, 66th actually uh, against the pass. And they do have Carl Brooks as an edge rusher, is one of the higher rated edge rushers in the MAC, 92 in our overall uh, ratings, our BGR plus ratings. They do have uh, Darren Anders, who you know uh, showed some promise for production points last year at linebacker, and then. They return a couple of, of starting safeties, but they brought in a, another Power Five transfer in Devon Ferguson, who looks like you know probably pencil him in as a starter at corner. He's coming over from Kansas, not a great defense, obviously, but uh, able to, to you know raise the talent level a little bit for what is still you know going to be one of the youngest rosters in the MAC. But uh, it, it, Bowling Green is a weird team as far as the way our numbers treat them because they certainly rank towards the bottom in a ton of categories, 128th in roster strength, uh, head coach Scott Loeffler, 125th. You know, the coordinators are both in the, the deep 120s. They have to replace a defensive coordinator. Again, might be addition by subtraction because Brian Van Gorder is uh, out the door. He's had a, just a terrible run the, the, this decade. Uh, but it, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult to – uh, not improve, I think. Bowling Green was so bad last year, they just kind of have to get a little bit better, even though the returning production is so low. Uh, you know, the the way our numbers at least treat them coming into this year, we already said they're a favorite against Akron. That's a team they beat, or excuse me, lost to 31-3 to last year. You might think, how in the world? Well, they get it at home, and those teams, at least as far as you know, roster numbers and, and team performance numbers on the whole, very, very similar. They match up almost the same on paper. So you get that game at home, it, it kind of makes sense that, that Bowling Green could be favored in that game. They do play an FCS team, Murray State. It, it's not an automatic win. We see FCS teams you know, knock off – FBS teams every year, but at least, you know, on paper looks like they should be favored in that game. We have them favored by more than a touchdown. You know, if, if you win those two games that, that we see them as favored in, they're going to get above that one and a half. And that might sound like a stretch, but you know, you throw in the fact that they are, 13% 13% against Kent State. They are 27% uh, expected to win against Eastern Michigan, 25% against Northern Illinois. You add all those up, and, and yeah, it looks like they're going to be a heavy underdog in all those other games, those 10 other games uh, that, that we've got them you know, projected as, as an underdog, double-digit underdog in all those games. But just by the law of averages, there's a chance they win one of them. So you add all those up, and, and we expect Bowling Green to win 2.68 games on average, including 1.64 conference games. And I was going through and, and doing the predicted win or loss, and you know, I, I wanted to keep Bowling Green at at <laughs> two and ten at the the highest part, but I, I was looking at where everybody else kind of kind of slotted them in and out, and I just I had to to. to uh, give them that 
that bump. I, I do think Bowling Green has a shot at, at three wins. I think they will, you know, get one of those two wins at least against an FCS opponent and uh, Akron. I think there's a, a decent chance they actually could win both of those games. And I think they knock off somebody they're not supposed to. Remember in 2019, they beat Toledo, uh, who, you know, was, was on a, a down, had a real down year, but nobody saw that coming. Every time, you know, every year in the MAC, somebody beats somebody they're not supposed to. And Bowling Green might just luck into a win. They might be, you know, a little bit improved. Maybe the quarterback receiver connection is better. Maybe Stewart takes over the offense, becomes one of the best running backs in the MAC. Maybe the defense improves. I, you know, uh, it, it might be uh, wishful thinking, but I think it's, you know, it, it's backed up by our numbers as well. And though Bowling Green, you know, did certainly underachieve, you know, the way our numbers uh, expected them to last year. There's still, I think, I think I'm willing to err on the side of they'll improve and uh, they will statistically, you know, maybe get one here or there that we wouldn't necessarily expect them to. So I think they go over. I actually bet it personally. I, I don't, it's not on my uh, sheet here for us in, in our betting game. Uh, but, but, yeah, I, th- I think there's a little bit of value on Bowling Green over one and a half because, you know, get one of those two that they're favored in, luck into another one, and, and you're there. And, and I think the margin is is small enough in the MAC that that's not a crazy thing to expect. Xavier, what do you think? Do you think there's winnable games on the schedule for them and they can, uh, you know, beat this one and a half number? I mean, you play to win the game, right? So, yes. Are there winnable games on the schedule? Sure. You know, I, I, I do agree with Nick. I think they can absolutely beat Murray State and then handle business against Akron. Uh, they do have that game at home, which I think will also help to that cause. Um, so they will get over the one and a half. Now, Nick says three. Nick must have an eight ball or something that he shakes because I don't see where the third is coming from. Uh, you know, obviously, I don't think they're going to win any of the other non-conference schedules. Uh, these uh, scheduled games, this includes Tennessee, South Alabama, and Minnesota. I don't think they're winning any of those. Uh, you know, and, and when I look at their schedule in the MAC, I don't see maybe a bad enough game where they able. To, maybe it's Northern Illinois. You know, where they have. You know, Northern Illinois is a team that's only projected to win four games this year. Uh, they were a very young team last year, but. You know, I don't. You're so I don't go on that there. Toledo limb with Nick. Then, I oh, mean, absolutely. I, no, I didn't say Toledo in 2019. <laughs> 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 you know, I've never hey, had to go out rivalry on rivalry game. Things can happen. It, it, it is happen yeah. a rivalry game. That's true. No, um, <laughs> I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going out there with you right now. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I do think that they'll get over the one and a half that is given to them. I, I see improvement in their future. When you change over head, the the coordinators in which they did, especially on the defensive end, I think that that lends itself, especially with a lot of older guys in the front seven, for on a new leash on life a little bit. Um, when you're able to bring in a new uh, a new defensive coordinator and you're you're saying to a bunch of seniors like, "Hey, all right, this is this guy. It does not have any preconceived notion on any of the guys on the defense coming in. You earn your right to play. You earn your right to start, and, and that." infuses some of the older guys on the team to maybe kick themselves in, you know, kick themselves in the high gear. Maybe they've been coasting a little bit because they knew that they were going to play. Now that's not necessarily the case um, at every single position, uh, which for them in a lot of positions, especially on defense is senior laden outside of really linebacker where they only have one junior that looks like he will be starting this year. So the defense 
I'm expecting to at least be a, give more effort due to that fact. Um, now, offensively, Nick hit it on the head. I'm, I'm, you're going to need improvement. You really are. Uh, and I'm not ready to say that they are going to do that in, in enough games for me to give them three. Also, for me, this is another team that did not dig into the transfer portal enough. To Nick's credit, he absolutely is right. They ranked the 86th in 2020. That's ridiculous when you talk about a Bowling Green team, you know, uh, when you talk about a MAC team in general. They finished second in the MAC um, last year. It was a big class, but they yeah. but they did have some talented players. Stewart was one of them. You know, they, they, they signed 28 people. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was a massive class. Not not nearly as big this year. Twenty kids, still a pretty big big class uh, with four transfers, and they finished tenth in the MAC outside of being second last year. Um, so obviously, we know this team can recruit. I think they should have dug into the transfer portal a little bit more to tie it, tie up some loose ends on the defensive end. They brought in two defensive transfers. Maybe a little, you know, go in a little bit more and see what you guys could have gotten. You really never know, especially with the transfer portal this past year. It was a wild, wild west, uh, as we documented here on the podcast. So um, I think they should have dug into the transfer portal a little bit more. I'd be more confident with them if they did. Um, as of right now, I'm only going to be able to give them two wins, though, guaranteed. Now, going over to Buffalo, uh, look, th- this team is – they're our second highest ranked uh, MAC team here. And, and they did – they lost the MAC title last year, but they did beat Marshall 17-10 and 10 in the Camilla Bowl, and they went 6-1 and one overall. But, you know, they lost a, a lot of players – to the NFL and just to graduation and uh, Lance Leopold left for Kansas in April, which just sets them back a bunch. Obviously we have them projected at seven and five. That is exactly what their DK total number is. We have them favored to win in nine, but only talent edges in five. And Nick, we have a question from our guy CK and this is, this is the whole offense for Buffalo here or it has been, he said, uh, we've seen three years of Buffalo's backfield basically being a 60-40 split between Jarrett Patterson and Kevin Marks. Is that now going to all go fully to Marks? Is part of it going to go to McDuffie or maybe Ron Cook or maybe another uh, running back on this roster? So that's that's a really good question because it's it's one that at least so far it's – almost impossible to answer, I think, because we're getting a a first-time head coach, a defensive-minded head coach, and Maurice Linguist uh, spent last year as the DB coach for the Dallas Cowboys, spent the spring as co-defensive coordinator at Michigan. He's bounced around a bit, a lot of P5 experience, but, uh, you know, defensive side of the ball his entire career made a a real interesting hire brought in Shane Montgomery who was the offensive coordinator at James Madison also spent a little time at Charlotte and Youngstown State and you know they they had a pretty solid running game at, at James Madison made you know one of the FCS uh blue bloods basically uh a a very very competitive team year in year out and you know, did some good things in, in the, the running game. I, I uh, have gone through and all of our uh, 2021 statistical projections for the MAC are, are done. We're still finalizing uh, some of the, the other teams and conferences. But, you know, looking back through recent years for James Madison, they've averaged, you know, uh, four and three quarters yards per carry uh, the last couple of years. They've attempted 47 uh, rushing attempts per game, pretty high 
percentage there, uh, certainly compared to, you know, passing. They, they've only averaged, excuse me, actually, I'm, I'm, the numbers I'm referencing are, are Montgomery's last five seasons. So the last two years, actually, James Madison were a little bit higher, over 48 uh, carries per game, rushing attempts per game each of the last two years when he was there, over 43 in each of the five years, regardless of where he was. But, you know, compare that to the passing attempts. And, and at James Madison, they averaged 22, a little less than 23 uh, pass attempts per game this past season. Uh, the prior year was 25, and that was kind of a high mark over that stretch. So uh, we certainly expect, you know, them to be a, a run-heavy team. And you just kind of have to wonder, you know, is Marks going to get a heavy workload? And, you know, compared to who else is on the roster, you know, you mentioned Cook, you mentioned McDuffie. They haven't done it yet. So I I kind of expect Marks to be, you know, I I kind of expect Marks to be the guy. With it being a new coaching staff, uh, I don't think the last few years, that 60-40 split, you know, there, there's really no reason to expect that to carry over quite in the way it was. Um, it's just, I think, going to be dependent on, you know, is Mark's head and shoulders the most talented guy? Probably. I mean, he's, he's probably uh, last year, he actually, you know, Jarrett Patterson uh, is in an NFL camp you know, broke the Mac single game rushing record, uh, had over a thousand yards, only played a handful of games. And Marks actually outgamed him uh, more than half the time last year. I think it was uh, four out of seven games. Marks was actually Buffalo's leading rusher. So he is a, you know, talented guy, has had a lot of production, doesn't have a ton of wear and tear because he has, you know, split so much time the last couple of years with Patterson. Cook and McDuffie, we just haven't seen very much from. I mean, they, you know. Uh, last year, Cook played 35 snaps. McDuffie played nine, and they got a little bit more playing time in, in 2019. But uh, I would expect that that Marks is going to be kind of the bell cow for Buffalo. And I think it kind of has to be because they lost you know over 10 players to the transfer portal since uh, Leopold left. A lot of that was on the offensive line. They do get Jake Fuzak back. Uh, starting left tackle is an all-Mac guy, and, and they get Jack Klink too. But you know, only two returning starters is on the low end in college football. They actually rank uh, toward the very bottom as far as game starts uh, coming back. Only 17 career starts on the offensive line. All but one of them belong to those two players I mentioned. So it was a very young offensive line. You know, Kyle Ventrese had some had some good games and, and, you know, has been, uh, has a lot of experience, 16 games as a starter has done some good things, but the receiver core was hit pretty hard by the transfer portal. And I think they're just going to have to rely on kind of marks as a, a proven quantity defensively, you know, hiring a defensive minded head coach, uh, it, I think is, is a good thing certainly for this defense. It was a unit that ranked 25th last year in defensive team performance, they, they were a top five offense, but they played only a max schedule and, and in that uh, bowl game because they had the number one rushing offense uh, as far as our team performance numbers go. But this was a pretty good defense as well, close to a top 25 unit. They were actually top 20 against the pass. They have talented pass rushers. They have two of the better uh, linebackers in the MAC and James Patterson and Kadofi Wright. And they're bringing back uh, Taylor Riggins, who actually didn't play last year because of – an injury. So, you know, you slot him 
in as an edge rusher. Uh, they bring back a couple of interior defensive linemen as well, brought in a couple of transfers uh, on, on the defense as well. Jock, uh, Josh Rogers from Texas A&M. They brought in a corner, Jamarcus Ingram, who played a lot at Texas Tech to help kind of offset some of the losses they had to the transfer portal there. So, you know, I think that this is going to be a team that wants to play good defense and run the football. And uh, Buffalo is not – on paper, roster-wise, what they were last year. This is a team that finished actually in our top 30 in our final power rankings last year, 23rd actually, top 25. Uh, They've fallen quite a bit. They were a little overrated because those team performance numbers were a bit inflated. Uh, We do some opponent adjustments, but it it was really, really difficult last year to, you know, say they just played a max schedule uh, you know, how do we tone this down a little bit? But, you know, they've fallen now to, to 69th in our rankings. I think that still is a little high because they are really, really low on returning production. 121st overall, 121st on offense, 110th defensively, uh, according to our calculations. But there are enough pieces here and there, enough high, you know, high uh, profile guys, talented guys, especially with marks on offense and, and uh, pretty – Pretty, what should be pretty strong front seven. I think Buffalo will be in the mix. I think they will have a chance to get back to a bowl game, have a chance to have a winning season. But I think that that, uh, I think that win total at DraftKings is a little bit inflated uh, from you know expecting more to return when Leopold was still the head coach. And I think honestly, our numbers might be a little high we like you said we do have them favored in nine games but a lot of those are coin flips they're actually uh looks like four games where they are a favorite of a field goal or less and so those can very easily uh you know the just one bounce here there a a projected favorite you know those are those are easily games that they could lose and they do have a couple of games where they're a small underdog so a lot of coin flips going both ways and with a first time first year head coach not really a, a scenario that that I love uh, but so even though on paper I think they'll be very competitive and I think their style of play probably will keep them in a lot of games uh, they're going to have to win a lot of close games to, to get a wing record to get back to a bowl game and I just think that's too fine of a line for them to walk one to get over that win total two they seem to be you know pretty high in the uh, you know, preseason odds as far as winning the MAC. I, I think even though they're our number two team, if I were personally slotting, you know, who would I bet on to win the MAC or who would I think is is most likely? They're probably four or five on on my list. I, I think that there are uh, a lot of unknowns for Buffalo, even though there's some things to like. You know, I think they're they're you know a lot has to go right for a first time first year head coach for them to maintain playing at the same level uh, that they have been the last few years. Yeah, Xavier, I mean, I I think what Nick said is exactly it. You know, it's uh, you look at the schedule and you say, oh, well, you know, looks like every game could be winnable here. You know, uh, a lot of them are close. The only uh, games that we have them not projected to win are against Nebraska, Coastal Carolina, and uh, Ball State. But those are all, you know, uh, the, the first one being Nebraska at 32%, but they're all... Is it Nebraska? Yeah, 44% oh, okay. for Coastal Carolina, 47% for Ball State. So, you know, uh, 
but it's a lot to ask a team that lost a bunch specifically on offense and brings in an entire new coaching staff late in the process. Yeah. And, and I think more importantly, Nick hit right on the head. This is a team, the way that they, their style of play is very susceptible to them being upset, upset prone, but also in these bigger games against the Nebraska, against the coastal Carolina and, and, and against the ball state, being able to bat down, the, you know, bear down the hatches and just make sure that didn't, they do their job. You know, with run, run heavy teams, the only issue is, is that if they get down by a big lead, can they, do they have the weapons on the outside to actually come back in those ball games? And that's the only concern. That's the reason why I do think that they'll lose their games. Um, they're not conference games against Nebraska and Coastal Carolina because I think both of those offenses are dynamic enough to get out to a big enough lead for, for, for Buffalo to struggle in, in coming back in those two ball games. Although they do get Coastal Carolina at home, and that, I think that's just going to be really fun because uh, I think that's two of the best two teams in the G5 going at it. Uh, both of those two teams, I think, are really dynamic offensively, so they'll struggle being able to just hold those teams while also getting their run game started, especially so early on in the year, uh, only playing one game before Nebraska and Coastal Carolina at that point. Uh, so I do think that this team can very well get over, you know, the seven and a half that DK has them at. Uh, you know, we all, we talked about the three games in which we think that they may lose. That still puts them at nine. Uh, you know, my, my only yeah. concern with them is, you know, exactly what you said, Scott, is, is this team kind of is getting a, a slower start than a lot of others, you know, with a brand new, you know, coaching staff essentially coming in and having to, you know, implement their, their system. You know, this is going to take, there's going to be some growing pains here and they don't really have time to go through the motions, um, with, a, with a brand new, you know, with a brand new team, uh, excuse me, coaching staff with only playing Wagner and then being thrown right into the fire with Nebraska. So that's really my only concern is if this team gets off to a slow start, let's say they start one and two, uh, after, you know, let's say they, they do start one and two and lose to Nebraska and coastal Carolina. Will this have any, you know, ramifications playing against, you know, a, a Western Michigan or, you know, a Kent state where they, you know, where they may struggle against a team that's not as good as them, but understands that this team is coming in with, with not as much confidence and can attack them and, and possibly pull off the upset. That's my only concern with them in that regard. Outside of that, I, I really think this Buffalo team can run the table uh, and make it to where the ball state matchup at the end of the year is, is a, is, you know, is a battle of the best in the Mac. Uh, and I, I would really enjoy for that to happen. Uh, and I think that it very well could I think I'm still comfortable, even with all I've said, going with eight wins for this team at the very least. You know, even with possibly an upset coming maybe early on in the season, I think they'll, you know, right the ship and get uh, get correct and be able to go on a run. And, and I still see why they can't get over that seven and a half mark uh, of seven, uh, excuse me, that DK has for them. Also, yeah. oh, I was going to say, go, lastly, go I think Nick talked about, you know, the, the one thing I was a little bit concerned about was obviously how late in this in the cycle they lost their coaches and what that was going to do for them. Exactly what Nick alluded to on on the recruiting trail. You know, luckily for them, they were able to keep most of their class. You know, they still finished eighth in the MAC. You would almost expect a team of Buffalo's caliber to maybe finish higher, uh, but they're already back on the recruiting trail, working to get towards that. They finished a hundredth nationally. Once again, you feel like they would finish higher, but that's probably a lot to do with the fact that they did lose Leopold so late in the process. They only were also only able to bring bring in three transfers as well so i think you know buffalo is a you know if buffalo wasn't as good as they were last year this is a team i would really be concerned about going into this year with all of the turnover and with the lack of talent that they were able to bring in in the transfer or in the transfer portal and uh throughout recruiting but i think that they can you know right the ship 
and, you know, at the very least be an eight and four ball club this year. And we move over to Central Michigan, and Central Michigan to me is a sneaky team. Nick, you know, started three and one. They lost uh, their last two games to finish out their, uh, you know, All MAC conference play here at three and three. Uh, but one of those games was a one point loss to Toledo. They bring back a decent amount of all conference players, one on each level of the defense, two wide receivers as well. Uh, we have them projected at six and six. They're DK numbers also six, favorite twin and five, but talent edges in seven. So what do you expect from the Chippewas this year? I'm, I'm pretty excited about Central Michigan. Uh, that sort of last point I made about Buffalo, where I probably put, you know, maybe four other teams ahead of them and who I think had a, a better chance to win the Mac. I, I would be very tempted to put Central Michigan in that group. And though, you know, Buffalo ranks 69th in our, our power ranking, Central Michigan is 86. That's, you know, certainly uh, a, a good gap between the two as far as those go. But the, the Mac, the middle to the top of the Mac is uh, relatively, you know, close together, I think, just in terms of overall talent numbers in terms of a lot of the team performance numbers that we're looking for in most years, Buffalo put just a, a, an incredibly high number for a G5 team last year, but you know, they're going to play a, a bit tougher schedule this season. So even if it were the same team, you know, playing this year's uh, schedule last year, you know, they wouldn't have ranked as, as high as they did. So I, I think that Buffalo probably, uh, as I mentioned, is a little bit, a little bit, you know, uh, inflated on that number. I think they're probably closer in, in all reality to where we've got central Michigan six in the Mac, uh, a, you know, this is a, a roster. You, you mentioned the all Mac players, uh, at least at some point in their history at every level of the defense. Plus they've got, you know, an offensive lineman, they've got two, uh, receivers, even though they, you know, kind of, uh, disappointed compared to where they were in 2019, but Khalil Pimpleton does everything for Central Michigan. He was thrown touchdown passes, run uh, touchdowns in, a return guy, one of the best receivers in the MAC. Uh, but then they have arguably the top running back duo in the MAC. Uh, certainly, I think that the top running back duo in the MAC, one of the best in the group of five, and Kobe Lewis and, and Lou Nichols. The real you know, only question I think is quarterback. What sort of play will they get at quarterback? They do have a returning starter, Daniel Richardson, who started four games as a redshirt freshman last year, suffered a significant injury that could, you know, potentially limit him. I, I think he was able to, uh, you know, uh, at least be involved in, in the spring. And so should be competing for that job again this fall, his backup who ended up starting a handful of games, former FCS starting quarterback as well. Ty Brock is in the mix, but who I think is uh, probably the favorite seems to be the, the favorite right now uh, to win the job is actually a transfer from Washington. Jacob Sermon, who was a high four-star guy, top 100 recruit when he signed with Washington a few years ago is just the most talented guy in the room. And, you know, uh, Jim uh, McElwain has, has shown he will go get talented transfers and, and isn't really, you know, going to hesitate to put them in the starting lineup if they're going to give you the best chance to win. So uh, he's done that a couple of times in the secondary. You know, Richard Bowens, the third, is a, a former transfer. Brian Edwards, former Florida transfer, you know, has been able to, to go in and, and find some talented 
transfers at, at different spots. Pimpleton also was a transfer prior to when McElwain got there. But, you know, Sermon fits that mold and is somebody who I think is going to come in, solidify that position, and hopefully take this offense to another level. I mean, they were a, a solid offense, G5 offense last year, 76th in our team performance rankings overall, but that was with the top 35 uh, running game and a, a passing attack that ranked 86. So I think Sermon coming in will help uh, them to, to you know be able to attack defenses in multiple ways. They'll have to respect the pass. Pimpleton and, and Sullivan and even Dallas Dixon will be in position for, you know, much improved uh, performance and the offensive line, like just about everybody uh, in the Mac brings everyone back, including Derek Smith, who was an all Mac uh, tackle last year. So there's, there's a lot to like for central Michigan across the roster. Troy Brown is a 100 rated player. One of the best linebackers, one of the most productive, at least in, in college football, smaller guy, former safety, but all over the field, doing a ton of stuff. Troy Hairston was the co-MAC Defensive Player of the Year last year as an edge rusher, incredibly, incredibly productive, 17 production points last year, according to our calculations. So he's now you know, well into the 90s in his overall player rating. And they, they, they just have no major weaknesses as, as long as Sermon comes in and at least solidifies the quarterback position, if not takes – this offense as a whole to a, another level. I think, I think central Michigan could get back to the Mac championship game. Like they, you know, surprised and, and got there in 2019. I think they will be in the mix and, you know, they do have a, a tough non-conference schedule, Missouri and LSU, you know, have to pretty much uh, say that, that those are going to be losses, but an FCS opponent, Robert Morris should win that game. FIU was a team that didn't win a game last year, certainly winnable. And then in the Mac, you know, they've got some tough draws, uh, have to go to Western Michigan, uh, have to go to Ball State, and then, you know, between them play play Kent State. That That's a tough stretch, but no game is, uh, you know, at least in, in Mac play, there's no unwinnable game. So even though they might not be favored every single time and, and we only uh, you know have them favored in, in one, two, three, three Mac games right now, uh, but every game is winnable. They're less than a touchdown underdog against Ball State, less than a touchdown against Western Michigan, less than a field goal against Toledo, and uh, less than a, a touchdown against Ohio, less than a field goal against Miami of Ohio. That's a lot of that's a lot of coin flips. And you know, coin flips are, are about 50%. You win about 50% of those. So I, I think that Central Michigan is going to be able to cobble together enough wins to get over the six, you know, to get at least back to six, back to a bowl game. But it would not shock me if, at all if they make a, a really strong run at the division title and, and get back in that MAC championship game uh, like they were in, in 2019. And Xavier, this this uh, this Central Michigan team, this is what makes the MAC kind of wide open. Is that yep. knowing a team like this can any week can go in and beat whoever is put in front of them? Yeah, and, and you know Nick hit it right in the head. This team goes as Jacob Sermon takes them. You know this this team, as balanced as they are, the quarterback position for them is the real biggest question mark. And my only concern was, is, is as Nick was reading off the schedule, was confidence. Can he build confidence? You know, 
and and I know I'm kind of beating that over with a dead horse, but it's really important, especially at the quarterback position. I mean, we saw it last year with KJ Costello when he went to Mississippi State. We, you know, first game went ridiculous, and then after that, it was a a slow, slow, slow death until you know until they had to switch the quarterback position. And we we thought you know maybe you know, and the same thing goes for Jacob Sermon. He's going to be thrown into the fire week one. He's going to be playing Missouri. Yes, he gets Robert Morris right after that. But in a conference that's so separated and the next teams we're going to be talking about are all kind of separated by either a game or a game in, or, or half a game when it comes to DraftKings win totals, the teams that we're talking about next. That means if it could literally come down to whether or not a guy is coming in with confidence versus isn't in a game that changes the entire complexion, whether a guy is, you know, you know, whether a guy understands the playbook the way he's supposed to, whether the coaching staff, you know, decides to be cute this game or aggressive this game it could it could change the entire complexion of how their season unfolds it could change the difference in them being second or fourth you know we see it in the mac all the time so that's why i'm beating it over with a dead horse with a conference that is so close together i think jacob sermon is a he's got the talent i mean you don't sign with washington you know i watched some of his tape he's he's six five he's actually a little bit more athletic than i thought he would be at, at six five he's got the talent so it's not like he that's something he can't do but he hasn't also played football in two years as a starting quarterback and so that's gonna take some time to knock some rust off this is of being the guy again so i I, i'm I'm looking for him to at least by the time that they play miami of ohio october 2nd to have built some type of rapport some type of confidence in his game to where now if they do run the table uh like nick you know alluded to what they can do then he will be you know a, a plus not a negative so they can do it. I will say they also get the plus the plus of being home for a lot of their big games as well. Yes, they have Ball State on the road, but they also get uh, Toledo at home, which they made Toledo their homecoming. So that's going to be fun. Uh, so, you know, yeah, yeah. Eyebrows raised for anybody who's not watching the podcast uh, when they when I, I read that. So it's going to be it's going to be a season for them. Uh, I, I am also looking forward to what they look like against FIU. We talked about how FIU is a team that we think can be improved this year um, in the Conference USA episode. Go listen to that. Uh, you know, but, you know, they get it at home, and it's their last non-conference game before they get to uh, uh, conference play. So I really, really am looking forward to see how they look like in that game as well, especially Jacob Sermons at the quarterback position. But I don't see why they can't win six-plus games. Um, once again, with the teams that we're talking about, the next – Three teams after uh, Central Michigan. I'm not betting on any of them. The, the The number is just too close to bowl eligibility or not. Uh, for, for spoilers out here, come on. <laughs> I, I, I got to get the people what they want. Uh, on the recruiting trail, though, this is a team that can, is, is increasingly getting better year in and year out. They finished 115th in 2020, 87th in 2021. Uh, they finished eighth in the MAC in 2020, second in the MAC in 2021, and you know. These guys are looking like they're going to have an amazing 2022 class at this point. Right now, they currently rank 59th nationally um, in recruiting for the 2022 class, and they rank number one in the MAC. So if they can keep that kind of consistency, now obviously the big teams, you know, will come in and, and push them down a little bit. But if they finish with a double-digit class again uh, for back-to-back uh, -back years, that's definitely adding to what Nick is saying by them being one of the more well-rounded teams in the conference as well. Uh, I, I'm just impressed by the combining of the two cliches there, uh, Xavier. It was beat him over the head with it and uh, beating a dead horse. So mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. you beat you beat him over the head with the dead horse. I love that. That's my favorite. So uh, my let's go. 
to Eastern Michigan here. And uh, look, they, they start out bad, 0-4, uh, with three of those losses by eight points or less. And then they finished off by beating Western Michigan and Northern Illinois, two pretty good wins. So they finished 2-4. and four. Not a lot of high expectations. We have them at five and seven. Uh, their DK win total is six and a half. So maybe take the under here. Only favorite to win four. Only talent edges in five. But, you know, starting out at the quarterback, we did get a question from CK here. And he asked, is what are the chances Preston Hutchinson loses his job to Cincinnati transfer Ben Bryant? Or at least, Nick, let's hear, do you think he pushes Hutchinson? Because Hutchinson had a great year last year. Yeah, Hutchinson really did. And, and I was surprised that Bryant ended up at Eastern Michigan because Hutchinson was, you know, really successful, really productive. Uh, you know, they, Eastern Michigan at the running back position really, really struggled. They ranked 111th in our uh, rushing offense team performance last year. And, and really, you know, if not for, Hutchinson, who ran for 192 yards and eight touchdowns, eight of their 11 touchdowns, uh, they they would have been, you know, they, they would have been worse because uh, he did bring a new, you know, a different element to that offense. Every running back missed multiple games. Darius Boone was the leading rusher, had some success, you know, average uh, over 5.7 yards per carry, but only played in three games. And, and you know, Samson Evans, who was a transfer from Iowa, looked you know, good at times, only played four games, uh, had 185 yards. Trey Bess, also a freshman, 100 yards, averaged, you know, almost six and a half yards per uh, per carry. So he certainly flashed, but guys were in and out of the lineup. And a lot of teams, of course, had uh, issues like that, injury, illness, all, all sorts of things. So, you know, it, it certainly wasn't new, but, uh, you know, Hutchinson kept Eastern Michigan alive and and i thought overall you know he, he played pretty well he was a better passer than i expected him coming in as his first year as a starter there uh average 8.4 yards per attempt which you know certainly wasn't toward the national leaders but uh was was decent you know still still uh top half top quarter of, of the mac so I, I was a little surprised that brian ended there because he was somebody who pushed uh, uh, Desmond Ritter at, at Cincinnati was a really highly rated signee for Cincinnati at the time. Seems like he would be able to go to a MAC team and and kind of pencil him in as the starter, almost like we would say with uh, or you know how I expect with Jacob Sermon at, at Central Michigan. But Preston Hutchinson was was really good, was really productive, and I, I think the odds. You know, I, I think if I were to to choose who's going to take that first snap. It's going to be Preston Hutchinson. Unless injury were to take a toll, I, I just see him holding on to the job. And, and, you know, certainly Bryant is talented enough to push him, I think. But uh, it, it would be a surprise to me if Hutchinson were to, to lose the job outright, you know, if he, if he were just to lose it to poor play or, or Bryant beating him out. But uh, whoever wins that job, has some talented players to work with. I think they'll eventually get the running back position figured out. They did bring in uh, a transfer from James Madison, who was previously at, at UCF. Uh, Juwan Hamilton, who was a starter at, at UCF when he was a freshman 
uh, I believe, but, you know, has been productive. He'll come in, he'll push uh, for a role there. DJ Smith was one of their highest rated recruits in a while uh, at Eastern Michigan. He got over a hundred snaps last year. So they, they, they'll figure something out at the running back position, but they've got one of the better duos at receiver in the Mac. Uh, Hassan Bedoun and, and Tanner New, both of those guys, you know, had, had some great games. Last year, Baidun was uh, just a, a reception machine when he was on the field. Didn't get into the end zone, so he actually, I would expect uh, his value will increase. Uh, he's somebody that I've been thinking a lot about it, you know, CFF and, and things like that. A little bit underrated maybe by some because he just, as luck would have it, didn't find the end zone last year, but is going to be, you know, targeted at a, at a really high rate because, you know, they do play – uh, 11 personnel, but we actually uh, have have Eastern Michigan penciled in as, as a team that is more likely to put two tight ends on the field at the same time because their top guy, Thomas Otakuya, is an all-Mac caliber type guy, but no more as a blocker. So anyway, that you know, Eastern Michigan, I, I think, is a team that, as always, is not going to be the most talented team. They're in 115th overall in roster strength. Uh, they actually broke into the double digits on offensive roster strength, 99th. And part of that is is uh, a solid quarterback position, relatively deep running back group. They're one of those teams that bring all five starters back on, on the offensive line, plus you know some pretty good receiving options. But defensively is, is where my biggest questions are. Uh, Eastern Michigan last year ranked 109th in defensive team performance, 110th against the pass, 101st against the run. They are 124th in our defensive roster strength. Uh, the best individual unit is, uh, according to our rankings, their defensive line, which ranks 119th in our uh, defensive line you know, talent numbers. And on the field, that defensive line, their performance ranking last year was 126th. So they, they bring back just about everybody. Uh, every starter, at least every full-time starter, but this is one of those teams where just because they're experienced doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be much improved because everybody else, for the most part, is experienced as well. Uh, Alvinowski Lafleur, all Matt Corner, certainly somebody to build around. Teron Rush has had some success. Has had. Uh, five production points or more in each of the last two years as a defensive end, edge rusher type guy. Terry Myrick is a solid linebacker, seven production points. But Eastern Michigan is, you know, not very many MAC teams have a lot of depth, but I think Eastern Michigan probably has the least depth of anybody. Uh, Xavier will talk about the recruiting ratings, but they are consistently well into the triple digits each year. Uh, they, they, you know, pop up and, and get some. Uh, talented guys, some overachievers, some guys that you don't expect uh, to jump up and, and do really good things. They're competitive every week. They are a real pain to play, but they just aren't that talented. They're not that deep. Everything kind of has to line up, you know, perfectly for, for them to stay in games to, to uh, you know, they have to, to, to kind of try to shorten the game at times. They have to do unique things. And I just, I, you know, last year we were low on Eastern Michigan. I was concerned about it because they're a little bit of a darling to, you know, overachieve. I know some people in the betting community are, you know, consistent. 
thinking that that uh, Creighton uh, head coach Chris Creighton is, is just one of those guys, kind of a Phil or not Phil, uh, Pat Fitzgerald type or a, a Mike Gundy type, where as an underdog, you know they are they are a solid bet to just stay in a game and, and just you can't put them away. But last year, at least early on, I, you know I think we saw that this just talent wise, they just don't really stack up with the better teams in the MAC, and they played a really tough schedule. Uh, and they were able to, to capture some momentum at the end, win two at the end. But, you know, as our 111th ranked team overall in our power rankings, ninth in, in the MAC, even though, you know, we have them as, as playing a lot of coin flips, especially early in the year, I, I think I'm leaning toward, you know, Central or uh, Eastern Michigan being, being an under team. You know, you mentioned they're only favored in four games. Talent edges in five. That's actually, I think last year it was one or two. So they've actually improved uh, talent wise as far as our numbers go. But even our stats only model, which usually is, is going to give Eastern Michigan the benefit of the doubt more than any other way that we look at things, only has them favored in five. So, I, you know, all three of those numbers go under the, the DK win total. So I think that, you know, I, I feel fairly confident. Yeah, they'll probably win a game they're not supposed to. But even if they did that, got to six, they're still under the six and a half. So I think Eastern Michigan's probably in line for another losing season, another, uh, you know, missing a bowl game. But they are, they're a pain. And, and don't be surprised at all if they ruin somebody's, you know, uh, chance of getting to the MAC title game. But I just don't see them as a, a team that's going to be in the, in the top half of the MAC. Yeah. I mean, Xavier, that's kind of, I, I feel the same way about Eastern Michigan. It's, uh, you get it if they steal one here or there, but pretty, uh, I'm pretty trepidatious to want to put a bet down on them. Yeah, I don't blame you. You know, um, I couldn't agree more with Nick. I, now, Nick did say something that I have to, I have to give Eastern Michigan credit. They finished 97th this year in recruiting, so they didn't oh. finish consistently in the triple digits. Oh, they got out of, they got out know. of the basement, basement. Um, and our they, numbers, they rank 105. <laughs> <laughs> Two four seven. I Two four seven has them I at 95. It, I get it. Yeah. Um, finishing seventh in the Mac this year, but I couldn't agree more with you guys. I, I think this is a team that's going to be, just be really stingy and what, what stinginess, it doesn't go from week to week. Um, you know, maybe, you know, one week you're able to keep catch a team slipping. Maybe they, they're overlooking you to get to their next opponent. Um, I'm looking really at the ball state game uh, on October 16th for them, a game that they, I think that they, you know, they play, play up uh, and try to spoil somebody's season. They also, uh, that's the only home game against, a conference title contender, in my opinion, that they have. They have to go to Toledo. That's not going to be fun at all for them. Um, I, I just, you know, I agree with both of you guys. I don't think that this team is good enough to, you know, run the table or good enough to get to that eight-win margin, which I think is going to have, you know, that's going to be what you have to be to get even near the top of the MAC this year uh, with, the, with the kind of talent that they have. Uh, they also run my least favorite defensive formation, which is a four-two-five, but I, I'll, I'll leave that for for a different time. Uh, you know, just 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 not a fan of it uh, in college football. But you know, I, I I think that you're asking for a lot from some from some younger positions. Yes, you hit around the head, Nick. The running back position is just wide open. There's just a lot of guys there. I think Jawan Hamilton will be the guy. Um, you know, yes, to answer your question, he did get starter like carries uh, his first year at UCF. It looks like after that, he was plagued by injury and just couldn't find his footing and then was able to get, uh, you know, heavy carries last year with James Madison. Uh, so this is a guy I think that absolutely 
is a guy that can come right in and, and take that starting running back spot uh, and, and or at least compete for the starting running back spot uh, as he is, you know, he's got 40 games played. He's got more games played than the rest of the running back room combined. So I think that that lends to, you know, at least having some type of leg up on everybody else at the receiver position for them. I don't know if you noticed this, Nick, but they're small. Uh, I don't know if, you know, if that, you know, that for me is really eye opening when you're starting two receivers don't even hit six feet. Um, and you're, you're, your oldest receiver, you know, with the most, you know, snaps or, or excuse me, you know, with some of the most games played is at five, eight, you know, they don't have a lot of your, your, bigger just you know really you know tall receivers that we see on some of the other teams sizes so, hey short receiver <laughs> i was a short receiver in high school i know what it's like <laughs> a little bit of trauma uh but you know um you know they're a smaller team on the offensive end as well and that does lend to itself being you know a, a, a hill that you have to climb when you do play some of these bigger teams and especially when you play a team like a buffalo that's going to hold the ball and make you you know and make your offensive possessions you know shorter and shorter if you're not able to capitalize on them. Buffalo is also a bigger team as well. With, with a, you know, and so that's going to also lend itself, you know, maybe some struggles down the stretch. I'm just saying, Scott, just saying. Uh, I think this is a team that can – I no, no, they're not getting a six and a half. They're, I'm going to talk myself out of doing it. They're not going to get six and a half. Uh, I, I think that they're going to get to – I think five is, is, the, is the best I'll give them. Uh, I absolutely agree with Nick on that. I don't think they'll get to a bowl game this year. So I, I, I would go under if I was a betting man. Now we go over to Kent State, and um, they, they jumped out to a 3-0 start. They lost to Buffalo, and they had their final two games canceled. So they did have the top-scoring offense in the nation at 49.8 points per game, which you know makes them pretty favorable in a lot of people's eyes. We have them at 6-6. Six and six. Their DK win total is 5.5. We have them favored to win at five. Town edges in six, but our guy Andrew, he he thinks that five and a half wins for Kent State feels ridiculous, as does the seventh best MAC championship odds. So, uh, can they put it together with a good offense, or what do you think about uh, Kent State, Nick? Well, I think I love the offense. <laughs> Absolutely love the offense. Uh, I, I said toward the end of the Eastern Michigan thing that I thought Eastern Michigan was an under team. Hopefully, I didn't confuse anybody. I think they're under the six and a half wins. They're probably going to be an over team as far as uh, game totals going over under, you know, because we expect Eastern Michigan to both score and give up more than 32 points per game. There are only two Mac teams that fall into that category. And one of them is Kent state. And this, this is something, I mean, it's certainly unique in our projections. We haven't been doing this a, a real long time, but uh, right now, Kent State, we expect to average almost 40 points per game on offense, and that's probably a little bit low, even though they do have a couple of real tough non-conference games where you expect they probably won't put up the numbers that they're used to, but we expect them to give up an average of 37 points per game. So we expect a lot of uh, you know, numbers in the, the 70s, mid-70s and in, in Kent State games when, you know, uh, totals are, are posted because they're going to be playing a ton of shootouts because this is, I think, you know, statistically at least last year, it was among the very best offenses in college football. They played a very small schedule and they played a, a pretty weak schedule, but they've got playmakers. Dustin Crum is, is one of... Uh, the best G5 quarterbacks 
in the country. He's, you know, an all Mac uh, performer. Even I hear a little bit of, you know, maybe a, a little bit of buzz uh, that he could be a, an NFL draft type guy. So, uh, you know, he, that's a great starting point. They did lose their best receiver as a, an undrafted free agent, Isaiah uh, McCoy, but Jay Sean Polk really flashed at times. They brought in a transfer from Syracuse and Nikian Johnson, uh, who's actually their highest rated player as far as our uh, individual player ratings go. So, so Kent State's brought in a couple of Power Five transfers at you know one at wide receiver, uh, really two at wide receiver because Eddie Lewis was a, a, a former uh, Rutgers signee. But uh, you know, throw in tight end Aaron Hackett as well. They didn't really use the tight end much in 2020, but I expect that to, to uh, you know, with him now involved, I would expect Crum to be able to, to utilize uh, the tight end position a little bit more. And they actually, you know, we talked about how Eastern Michigan has a lot of guys available at running back. Well, Kent State has a lot of pretty good guys available at running back. Uh, really, you know, four capable of starter type carries. And last year, uh, Joaquin, uh, Bangda looked like, you know, the next star running back at, at Kent State was uh, really productive as a, as a sophomore. Uh, Xavier Williams got actually even more, uh, you know, was on the field even more than him. But those guys fell to three and four really in, in the pecking order because Marquez Cooper came out as a, a true freshman, started four games, every game that he appeared in. Uh, now looks like the next, you know, big time, maybe Mac uh, running back, except he's splitting carries a little bit with Brian uh, Bradford, who's a bigger, you know, over 210 pound type guy, plus Bangda and Williams are both still there. So Kent State probably has the deepest running back group uh, if they don't, you know, have that that one guy who's like a Kevin Marks at Buffalo. But, you know, they've got a ton of options there. Their receiving core is, is getting deeper through the transfer portal. Yet another, you know, Mac offense with five returning offensive linemen, one of them being an all-conference type guy, left tackle Bill Kudak. The the offense isn't going to slip very much. You know, they might not put up 70 <laughs> against uh, Texas A&M and Iowa. They might not get to 70 in those two games combined. Uh, they also play Maryland, you know, to three power five opponents. Uh, but in Mac play, we can consistently expect them to score 40 points or more per game. The only problem is the defense is, is rough and they've really addressed, attempted to address uh, the secondary first and foremost, even though this, you know, that, uh, the past defense was, was the strength uh, of that defense last year. They just couldn't stop the run ranked 118th in both our overall defensive team performance and our rushing team performance. But they bring back three starters at linebacker, two starters up front, added some transfers in, in both spots to try to help solidify uh, that front seven, get a little bit better against the run. But the secondary could it certainly is a strength of the defense, could be one of the better secondaries in the MAC. We have it actually, it's a top three unit in the MAC and a top 90 unit overall. So, you know, they, they should continue to do decently well against the pass. Uh, but they've got to get much better play, you know, up front, stopping the run, or we're just going to see a lot of, you know, 55, 42 uh, type games in, in Mac play, you know, having to score 42, 45 or more to, to stay with 
uh, Western Michigan to stay with Central Michigan, maybe even Miami of Ohio, who's a, a, got a pretty potent offense or at least a lot of potential there. So, Kemp, yes, I, I I think that at first glance, five and a half feels low. And as Andrew mentioned, the the non conference schedule is very tough. The defense is, of course, a concern. But as the seventh best odds to win the MAC. On, on the one hand, yeah, I get it. Uh, but on the other hand, there are eighth-ranked team in the MAC, So that's pretty close to, to right where we are. We have a 98th overall, eighth uh, in the MAC, and, and a big part of that is because the defense just, you know, as far as talent goes, 113th. As far as team performance goes, you know, triple digits, well into the triple digits overall and, and certainly uh, against the run. So I, I, I get where he's coming from, absolutely. I mean, this, you know, Kent State looked like a MAC title contending team out of the gate last year. And, and the offense is going to be a problem for a, for a lot of different teams. Don't be surprised if they put up 40 plus on Maryland. Uh, but, you know, they, the, the schedule doesn't set up great. They, they play on the road at Western Michigan, on the road at Ohio, on the road at Central Michigan. I mean, those are, those are some tough draws. They do miss Toledo. Uh, but you know, they're, they're again, like, uh, some other teams we've talked about going to have to win a lot of coin flips to stay in that Mac race. And it's, uh, it's going to be difficult until I see defensive improvement. I don't think I can buy Kent state as a Mac title threat. Are they a top half Mac team? They probably should be. We might be, you know, a, a few spots low in our, in our power rankings, eight, Eight does seem low. Seven does seem low. But the defense, you know, they've got a lot of work to do. And, and they brought in some talent. And you would expect they'll, you know, make some improvement with uh, a continuity in the coaching staff. They rank 26 in defensive returning production, top 20 overall. But, yeah, and, until I actually see uh, an improved defense, especially against the run, it's going to be it's going to be tough, actually. I think for them to break into that upper tier, that that top tier of, of MAC title contenders. Uh, so you know, six wins back to a bowl game and a lot of exciting games seems about right. But I, I'm I'm not ready to bet over five and a half. Yeah, they could. I could certainly see scenarios where they get seven, eight wins. But uh, our projections call for more in the range of of six and six winning record in the MAC kind of still in that middle of the pack. Xavier, what do you think of, of Kent State? I think it's like Nick said, it's uh, all offense, no defense, and mm-hmm. uh, th- this schedule is really rough up front. Yeah, absolutely. You started a year off with A&M, you know. Excuse me. Yeah, you started a year with A&M and at Iowa and at Maryland. Like, th- that is one of the worst starts of the season that you can have, especially, you know, with how improved Maryland looked last year, they're no slouch anymore as a non-conference schedule uh, or as a non-conference game. So I'm thinking, you know, one in three, and then you hop right into the conference schedule and you get, you know, yes, you start off with Bowling Green, but then you get Buffalo, you know, you get that at home, but then you have to go to Western Michigan and to Ohio and back-to-back games. And, and the last, you know, their last six games, they're going to have to be road warriors this year. Their last six games, four of their last six are on the road. They get Northern Illinois and Miami at home, but as Nick alluded to, those are probably the easier of the two games that they get. 
you know, those are probably the easier games that they have in that stretch, you know, when you play Western Michigan, Ohio, Central Michigan, and obviously Akron, who I I, oh, I think they, they will be as well. But, you know, I, I don't know, you know, Dustin Crum for me this year has to kind of be that guy, you know, losing his number one target in Isaiah McCoy, you know, he's going to have to find some other guys to step up. You know, he's going to have uh, other guys are going to have to, you know, fill that void uh, that Isaiah McCoy left going to the draft last year. And, you know, it's easy to be the second and third receivers on teams. It just is. It's just an easier life to be that guy. Um, so who's gonna, whoever's going to step up to the number one receiver spot is going to be something to be seen throughout the year. You know, will it be Jay Sean Polk? You know, will it be Naheem Johnson, who's a transfer? You know, will, will it be one of these guys, you know, who's with, been with the team or a transfer that has come in that's going to be able to step up and, you know, become Dustin Crumb's number one option because he loved him to Isaiah McCoy. And I don't blame him. Uh, but, you know, that's going to be a, a constant battle in that position group of who's going to be that guy and who Dustin Crumb makes that guy. Because to an extent, as a quarterback, you have to – it's not necessarily who's just the most talented, but who you trust the most, who's going to run the right route, who's going to hustle for balls that might be a little bit overthrown. Those kind of things build that kind of rapport with a quarterback and a receiver that ultimately makes you the number one overall guy at that position. So that's something they look forward to or, or to look for as the season progresses. And obviously, you know, coming out of fall camp, who – who has made the most plays? Nick hit around the head though. This team will go as far as their defense can, you know, can take them, quote unquote, or not give up. Uh, you know, Ben don't break essentially from this defense. And I'm not so sure I can trust this Kent State defense. I, I didn't trust them last year. I'm not going to trust. I, I'm very hesitant on them this year. And especially with you losing some talent on the offensive end. It's going to maybe early on in the year, it's going to be on that defense to get more stops than they maybe typically have in the past. You know, maybe it's going to be on this defense to, you know, play better. And, and a lot of these guys are seniors. And you know my old saying, older trash just smells worse. So will these guys decide that they're going to, you know, finally throughout their tenure at being at uh, Kent State, not be the Achilles heel of this team or not mu as much of an Achilles heel as they have been in their time there? Um, you know, on the recruiting trail for them, surprisingly, they're not as good as, as recruiting as maybe I thought they would be. They finished 118th this year um, nationally and 11th in the MAC. Um, they only signed 12 kids, uh, or well, 12 kids signed a letter of intent um, on on signing day for them this year. That uh, that rounds up to 17. After you look at transfers, they didn't really hit the transfer portal as hard as I thought they maybe should on the defensive end, really only bringing, they brought in two safeties and an edge rusher, you know, with a team that uses uh, or that implements, you know, three linebackers, you would maybe expect for them to dig in there a little bit more. I know they're more senior laden at that position, but maybe you thought maybe just one or two guys to maybe add some competition to a position that is played so much in the three, four defense. Uh, I don't like them to get over that five and a half mark. I like them at five. I'd be comfortable with them at five. It's going to be an interesting year for them for sure, but we go over to Miami and uh, this is one of the more interesting teams in the Mac because they only played three games last year. They were the 2019 Mac champs. Uh, they uh, beat uh, the eventual uh, Mac champ in Ball State in their opener and then finished only with three games, two and one overall. Um, uh, DK has them at five and a half. We have them at six and six, favorite to win in five. Town edges in nine, though. So the roster looks good here, Nick. Uh, but uh, we just have no idea what to expect from Miami coming off a three-game season. Yeah, they're they're a little bit of a forgotten team, and and even though 
you know, Ohio played just just uh, three games as well. For whatever reason, we seem to think, oh, yeah, Ohio's uh, uh, in that top group. Uh, oh, Kent State only played four games, but they ranked, you know, among the, the leaders in several offensive categories, so we kind of remember them. Miami, one, they jumped up and, and almost, you know, maybe one of those – uh, one year too soon, or, or one year certainly sooner than expected, uh, jumped up and, and won the MAC in 2019. Ball State kind of, you know, followed that path a little bit in 2020. But you know, Miami is a team that I fully expected uh, to to contend last year. They brought a lot of players back from that MAC title team. I think they were you know, in the, in the top two or three in returning production in the Mac this time last year. But a lot of those players that they relied on were injured. Two of their better running backs, uh, Jalen Bester and Tyree Shelton, didn't play at all last year because they both had Achilles injuries. Uh, they're starting tight end, Andrew Homer, who was, you know, in the conversation as an all-Mac type guy, didn't play at all because of injury. Brent Gabbert, Freshman Player of the Year in, in 2019 led them to a MAC title as a true freshman. Uh, missed parts of multiple games because of injury, and and you know they were able to fold some some other guys in there. Get get a look at uh, you know a couple of <laughs> different tight ends. So they're actually now really deep at that position. Uh, were able to you know somebody else stepped up uh, and took over that lead. Uh, ball carrier Zach Klein. Uh, he's you know moved on, but they were able to get Davion Johnson uh, some snaps as well. A, a couple of starts. They brought in a transfer and Kieran Mosey from uh, from uh, Kansas State. So you expect actually that they'll be uh, much improved at the running back position. They they have an All Mac wide receiver and Jack Sorensen, who uh, PFF had a, a, a pretty interesting note in their. Um, a preview that he ranks first among FBS wide receivers since 2019 in uh, target percentage is targeted in 37.3% of his snaps. And he averaged 3.66 yards per route over that period, which is second most uh, in the FBS. So, you know, Jack Sorensen is, is one of the better G5 receivers mm-hmm. out there. Uh, so they, they've got playmakers on offense. They are, unfortunately, like Buffalo, one of the few teams that has questions on the offensive line. They lost two really talented offensive linemen, one to the NFL draft uh, in, uh, excuse me, uh, in Tommy Doyle, who was a fifth-round pick of Buffalo. And then their starting center, uh, Danny Godlewski, transferred to Oklahoma State. So both of those guys were all conference caliber players. Certainly one at least has a pro future, probably both. And they only, you know, bring back a, a couple of returning starters. They do have some experience. They have uh, looks like five different guys who've played uh, over 15 games, but they only have two players that that have more than, than five career starts. So if they can get the offensive line, figured out, uh, then I think they certainly have a chance to, to be one of the better offenses in college football, or excuse me, in, in the MAC, in, in maybe even G5, even though they don't necessarily you know spread it out kind of in that Kent State mold. They're talented because in addition to Sorensen, Jalen Walker is a returning starter at wide receiver, but Mac Hipkenhopper 
uh, transfer from Penn State, and then James Burns, who uh, was among the nation's leaders in yards per catch in 2019. You know, those guys are are reserves, second second teamers, at least on, as far as our depth chart goes. So they're pretty deep at both running back and receiver and tight end, also. So you know, if that if that offensive line can maintain its its level, and they rate uh, 82nd in offensive line performance for us last year, if they could put up a similar number. You know, this is an offense capable of contending in the MAC. Defensively, you know, you mentioned they've got a, a talent edge in so many games. There's not necessarily a standout position defensively, but they're solid everywhere. They're in the top half in all three categories. They're our, our fourth best MAC defensive line. Uh, headline Cameron Butler, one of the better pass rushers in the conference. Uh, they're solid at linebacker. They rank sixth in the MAC in our linebacker rankings, fifth in the secondary. And, and Sterling Weatherford, who's a 6'4", 220-pound safety, you know, might be a, an NFL linebacker one day. He had a, an incredible 2019 season, was really limited last year, but has had a great career, is one of the better defensive players in the MAC. You know, they're solid at all three levels, maybe not spectacular anywhere on the roster, but other than that offensive line, there are very few questions. So even though our numbers are, are modest, our projections are modest, they're 96 in our power rankings overall, seventh in, uh, in the MAC. you know, they're, they're going to be in just about every game. They've got a tough rivalry game with Cincinnati as an opener. They also play Minnesota and Army, you know, so they're underdogs in, in all of those. But they're, you know, uh, just like two years ago when they, they ran to the MAC championship, they have an opportunity to win every game in conference. And at least at the, the very beginning, it looks like the schedule sets up decently well to start MAC play. Central Michigan, I think, will, of course, be tough. But Eastern Michigan and Akron, you know, at least on paper, two of the weaker teams in the conference, it gives you some momentum heading into what could be a, a pretty tough second half of that max schedule. But I think, I think Miami is going to be in every game, have a chance to win every game, probably going to win a game or two as an underdog that we wouldn't expect. And I, I, I think this is, they might not win the conference, of course, but they're, you know, you're going to have to beat Miami to win the conference. If that makes sense, you're going to, you're going to, you know, you're going to get their best shot and you're going to have to, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to give away games. They're, they're going to be uh, a tough out every single week. So I think that, you know, I guess it's a cliche of the, the Mac championship, the road to the Mac championship runs through Oxford. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe so, you know, all the, the top contending teams, at least in the, 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 their division, uh, you know, they're going to have to beat Miami to get there. They're, they're, they're going to be in the mix. They might not win at all, but, but I think they will be, in the conversation and Xavier that their schedule, it's not as brutal at the top as Kent state, but it is not great. So no, it's not. Uh, well, what do you think about, uh, what do you think about this squad? Well, if, if, if you two lovely individuals will both go to the betting screen of our, uh, of our podcast, you, you would see a little bet, a little wager that I've gone ahead and already in, in uh, put in there. And that's, I think, Miami of Ohio is going over five and a half wins this year. I, I've got them in the over. Uh, I, I put 300 fake dollars on, on, on them to go over five and a half wins this year. I think their schedule does line up for them to do so. Nick absolutely hit it on the head. 
before their schedule for me gets really, really daunting. They are able to build some confidence. I think they'll beat LIU and Army. I think the Central Michigan and Eastern uh, Michigan games are going to be tough. But then they get, you know, but then they get Akron right before they play at Ball State. Then they get a bye week right there on October 30th that allows them to get, you know, get healthy, get rested for that last four game stretch, in which I think they can win all four games outside of possibly Buffalo. I think that's more of a toss up for them. I think Buffalo's more favored in that game, but I think they can win all four of those matchups. Uh, I think this is a team that can get to six wins and can get to bowl eligibility. With the, when I look at their schedule, you know, yes, the back-to-back Michigan games is going to be tough uh, playing Central Michigan and then Eastern Michigan. Uh, but I think at that point they'll be at the worst two and four, you know, three and three. I think I, you know, is more, what I'm more comfortable saying. And then after that, I think they can win three games. I think they could beat Akron. I think they could beat Ohio. I think they could beat Bowling Green. I think they could beat Kent State the rest of the way. So that easily gives me six, possibly even seven wins for this team. I think a lot of people are sleeping on them because they only played three games last year. But they were the 2019 champs. Yes, they lost a lot of talent on the offensive line, like Nick was alluding to. Uh, but this offense for me is going to be really fun to watch. You know, I, I think Brett Gabbard, even though he didn't really have a real sophomore year, he still was able to get reps, and they've probably just been practicing this entire time. Um, you know, they they yes, they only played three actual games, but they've just been running reps, and they still were using the rest of the season to practice. It wasn't illegal to do so at the time, so they were definitely using that time to build a rapport with the rest of his def- or rest of his offense, excuse me, and the receivers that are coming in or the receivers that he has and the tight ends that he have. I think this is a guy who can absolutely have an amazing build on the fret you know freshman uh freshman of the year and build on that in a, in a real junior season i'm excited for what he's going to do defensively for me you know i think that this is a team that maybe not be as talented as a ball state or as a buffalo defensively but there's no slouch unfortunately you know yeah you know, i i think that they have enough talent to get it done against the middle teams now like i said against some of the the, the favorites we have in this conference Maybe not, but against the teams in the middle, which is really where you win or lose or uh, have a good season or a bad season in the MAC, is really at the teams at your eye level. I think they have more than enough talent to get over the to get over the hump there. Uh, On the recruiting trail, they're just a steady ship. Ninety three last year uh, nationally, they were eighty eighth this year nationally. They were fifth uh, in the MAC in twenty twenty. They were third in the MAC this uh, in twenty twenty one. Uh, currently speaking, they are 79th nationally and fifth in the MAC going into 2022. So they're just a steady ship when it comes to uh, recruiting pretty much double digits on a consistent basis. Um, you know, and I do think that the running back room will need improvement, but they did bring in a transfer to do so to just bring competition to a running back group that I think is really the quote unquote only Achilles heel of the offense. But when you've got so much talent on the outside, Teams have to prepare for it, which should allow you to run against some more some, some some fronts that are more favorable. You won't be running with a packed box when you have the you know a Jack Swanson on the outside, you know, or you know the uh, the type of talent that they have at their skill positions at receiver and tight end. So I think this team goes over five and a half. There are there are a bowl team for me. I think six wins is more than feasible. Uh, seven or eight, I think, would be a stretch. But they only have them at five and a half. I think this is a really good bet. Well, let's go to Northern Illinois. Uh, they fielded a young team last year that was competitive throughout a tough max schedule. They lost three games by single digits, but they were 0 and 6. And as you wrote <laughs> here, Nick, 0 and 6 is 0 and 6. 0-6. Any way you cut it here, we have them for this season projected at 4 and 8. Their DK win total is 4, so we're right in line there. Only favored to win two, but talent edges in six. So, what do you think about the Huskies for 2021, Nick? I, before we saw the win totals, I, I was a little 
a little excited about Northern Illinois. I thought there might be some value because, yeah, 0-6 is 0-6. And uh, though they were competitive, there were certainly some poor performances in there. But this was a really young team last year, especially on defense. And then offensively, there are some skill position players, uh, you know, who are among the best at the position in in the MAC. Uh, Tyrese Ritchie is is one of my favorite receivers, certainly one of my favorite G five receivers, but uh, a guy that you know maybe has a, an, an NFL future. He's not the biggest guy at five eleven in the one ninety range, but he was incredibly productive last year. Has had a pretty good career to date as a junior college uh, transfer and coming back for a super senior year, you know, is, is an all Mac type guy is, is somebody that you can uh, build around and, and is a threat that opposing, uh, you know, opposing defensive coordinators have to game plan for. And, and then, you know, couple him with a rushing attack that, you know, wasn't, wasn't spectacular. NIU finished 107th in our rushing team performance rankings offensively, but I saw uh, enough out of Harrison Whaley as a freshman last year to think that, okay, he's, you know, going to be able to uh, be a very productive guy, small, you know, 5'9", 170 type guy, uh, but couple him with Aaron Collins. That's, uh, you know, the Thunder and Lightning type setup. Both of those uh, players are starter caliber, I think, running backs in the Mac, and then They've got one of the highest rated recruits at running back of, of really any G5 team. Uh, Ontario Brown is a guy who had P5 offers. You know, his offer list was, was really long. Ends up going to Northern Illinois. He's already over 200 pounds as a, a you know, high school signee out of Georgia. And, uh, you know, there, there, uh, there, there's, Enough reason, I think, just as far as pure talent, that he could even surpass Whaley or, or Collins, you know, assuming all goes well off the field for him. So uh, really, really talented running back group. In addition to Richie, uh, Trayvon Rudolph was an all-conference return man, had, you know, uh, was able to, to carve out a starting role as a true freshman last year. And then they lost Ross Bowers, who I thought at first uh, just retired, but entered the transfer portal a couple of months uh, after the, the season ended, but they had already gone to get a former power five starter and Rocky Lombardi from Michigan state. Certainly not the most accurate passer has had his ups and downs as a, as a college quarterback, but somebody who has started nine career games has played in a, you know, two dozen games in his career at a power five level. So I think he'll be able to come in against, you know, Mac defenses, I would expect he'll be able to perform at a higher level, should at least, you know, provide at least some consistency, uh, a solid transition from one former P5 transfer to another, yet another Mac offensive line with five uh, starting, you know, returners starting, Braden Patton being the highest uh, rated of of those at only a 76. So there's certainly some work to do there from a, a talent standpoint, but, you know, this is an experienced offense with some real reasons for hope at, at particular spots. But, you know, defensively, 
they were so, so young. All of their starters last year were either true freshmen or redshirt freshmen on the defensive line. Uh, they had multiple starters who were freshmen in the secondary, a starter who was a freshman at linebacker. So they've recruited decently well, and then they've gotten those guys on the field. It didn't translate to wins last year, but maybe this, because of how young they were, is one of those teams where you know we look at it and say, okay, yeah, you know, everybody's bringing back a lot, but Northern Illinois is bringing back six starters who were freshmen last year. So maybe we can expect that experience, you know, that bump in, in just getting on the field, seeing the college game, getting some experience, you know, as a starter, as a, a full-time player, maybe that actually will translate to a little bit better, you know, just overall team performance. So last year defensively, they ranked 106th overall in our team performance rankings, 105th against the pass and 68th against the run. And you think about, like I said, every starter on the defensive line was a redshirt freshman or a true freshman. I have to think that, that that's going to continue, you know, to be a strength stopping the run. And, you know, there's, there's some things to like, I think, in the secondary, getting a little uh, older with, you know, now sophomores, Jordan Hansen and Devin Lafayette at uh, at safety. They had Jordan Gandy at, at corner, who was a all-MAC performer as a, a sophomore last year, now a junior, bring back his his uh, co-starter at corner and Dylan Thomas. So, you know, maybe, maybe that secondary gets a little bit of a, a bump just because you know, a full year playing together, everybody's back. And, you know, two of those guys were, were starters at true freshmen. So I, I think that maybe there is a little bit of something to that experience bump paying off for Northern Illinois. Top 25 in returning production percentage-wise defensively, according to our projections, and top 40 overall. So like I said, when, when before the numbers came out, I thought, okay, maybe there's going to be a little bit of value on, on Northern Illinois. was a little bit excited, even though there's a tough non-conference schedule with Georgia Tech and Michigan and Wyoming is always a tough out against everybody. But for them to set it at four really kind of deflated my hope because I, I was thinking no way, you know, uh, that this team doesn't win three games. They can, they can get over two and a half, you know, they can get to three. Uh, maybe they even have a shot to, to get to four. I see the, our projections are at 4.26 uh, wins on average, but you know, they, they have smart people putting, putting uh, win totals up. I, I get it. So uh, at, at four, you know, it, it hurt me a little bit that that seems to be right on the money. Even though we only have them favored in two games, I think this is a team that can uh, improve not only record-wise but team performance-wise. I think they will win a couple of uh, you know potential coin flips. We only actually have them as a underdog of of less than a, a touchdown in two games. Yeah, but I have one coin flip. Really? Only one, yeah, only one real coin flip, but that's certainly a winnable game against Eastern Michigan. And and this is this is the type of team I think that can win a game as a, a double digit underdog. Can can win a game that we wouldn't normally expect. You take care of business, uh, take care of business against Bowling Green. Take care of business against Maine, who's a, a pretty tough FCS opponent. But I think absolutely getting to three wins is is a likelihood. Getting to four wins is certainly possible, and it, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if this is one of the the you know bigger turnarounds as far as a record going from zero to wins to five wins. Maybe this 
I, I know our numbers aren't quite there. They're a double-digit underdog in most games. But uh, this, this team, just the way how many freshmen they played last year and kind of how they're building this team, you know, as recruiting high school players and then picking up the occasional Juco guy, the occasional, you know, power five transfer, a real, I think they're building this the right way. And Northern Illinois has not looked good really under Thomas Hammock most of, of his tenure so far. Last year was certainly a disappointment with a, a, a winless season. But I, I think this is a team on the rise. Uh, and I certainly think that we will see a much improved team next year. So I, I can't say, yeah, go bet over the four. That's just, that's a good number, unfortunately. But, you know, maybe a, a money line here or there in, in a, a game where they're a, a single digit underdog. Uh, I, I think you might pick up one or two of those during the regular season. I think I think Northern Illinois is going to be maybe the most improved team in the MAC and, and a team that if if things really line up well uh, could could make a run at a bowl game. Yeah, Xavier. I mean, looking at this team, it, it just looks like the schedule. Even if they are one of the more improved teams, it's still not that favorable. So, uh, what do you think about the Huskies? Yeah, I, I I agree with Nick. I think this is a team that's. Unfortunately, for I think this team reminds me a little bit of what Arkansas was last year. They're getting a, veter- a veteran-led quarterback who's been there, done that. Arkansas was able to get Felipe Franks last year. It helped bolster them and, and keep them competitive in some games that in previous years they would just would not have been. Um, and maybe they, quote-unquote, you know, have a better season than what people thought they would, you know, because of Rocky Lombardi, who, you know, just like Felipe Franks, has a lot to prove here. This is a guy who last year with Michigan State just kind of hit a wall. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, point to him as, as why Michigan State didn't have as good of a year as they possibly could have. And, and I think he has a lot to prove here with Northern Illinois. And I think he's going to come in here with a chip on his shoulder. And there's nothing better than a, a veteran leader with a chip on his shoulder with a young team that's going to rally behind their quarterback. And so I really see them, you know, being a team that's really impressive, even in losses. You know, when you look at the non-conference schedule, Georgia Tech is a game for me that I think is going to be very fun to watch. Georgia Tech is another one of these teams that's really young. You know, has a has a young quarterback, has a very young team. And, and this is going to be a game that I think is going to maybe be closer, you know, go maybe going into halftime, maybe just a close game in general with both teams being rather young and rather hungry to be out there. Wyoming, as Nick said, is not an easy game to go to, but they do have it at home, which I think is a boost. Uh, at Michigan, I, I, I'll let that one go. But then Maine, obviously, you know, finishing out their non-conference schedule, I think they can build confidence going into a really, really hard schedule. They, they started off with Eastern Michigan, which we talked about, uh, and then their away games. Their away games are just ridiculous. You know, they have to go to Toledo, to Central Michigan, to Kent State, and to Buffalo. That's a hellacious away schedule. Uh, but I think this is a team that, at the very least, is going to have an upset win this year. I think this is going to be a team that, you know, is maybe able to beat Ball State at home. Maybe they upset a Buffalo team. On the road, I just think that this is a team that's going to be really hungry week in and week out, and they're always going to, you know, Nick alluded to it, you know, a couple, you know, a couple teams ago, is always going to just be stingy. You know, that was the word he used. He used stingy. I think this team is going to be that as well, and I think they're going to compete week in and week out, and they're not going to just go home crying. They're not just going to lay a uh, roll over and allow you to beat, you know, beat the brakes off of them. I don't see that coming from this team, so I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, if they were able to be, you know, be a, almost a five win team i think four is you know unfortunately high for them because i think if nick nick's right absolutely right if this was a two and a half 
you would have seen the seen in the betting window already. I think me and Nick both would have put the bet there uh, if it was under if it was under three. But I really like this North, this Northern Illinois team, and I, and I think that this is a team that's going to be a fun watch all year. Uh, I think the kids see that too when you look at the recruiting trail. You know, 92nd last year, 91st this year. Um, in 2021, they finished fourth in the MAC last year. They finished fifth in the MAC this year, and they're already looking to have a really really good 2022. Uh, already ranking 63rd nationally in recruiting and second in the MAC uh, going into next year. So this is a team that is definitely garnering some eyes, at least from the, you know, from the kids. And the kids typically tell you what teams are starting to look upward and what teams that they really are, you know, finding confidence in throughout a conference. So the fact that they're trending upwards in the recruiting trail is also a boost for them. And the fact that they are, do you know, they had a really decent recruiting class and they only brought in one transfer speaks volumes to what people are seeing from Northern Illinois in the future. Uh, let's go over to Ohio and the, the Bobcats are another team that only played three games last season. They did, uh, they went two and one, but their one loss was a three point loss to central Michigan. So this is a good team and we have them projected to go eight and four. Their DK number is seven uh, favorite twin and nine only talent edges in three though. They bring back another Rourke for, uh, you know, I mean, it's just the family tree. If you're a Rourke, you go play quarterback at Ohio. So it uh, should be a fun season for them. But what do we think about the Bobcats for 2021, Nick? I, I'm a little torn on Ohio. And I, I have a similar feeling uh, with them like I do with Buffalo, thinking, okay, right around that 70 mark nationally, two or third, you know, two or three in the MAC. Uh, seems high to me, and, and with both both Buffalo and Ohio, it's because their team performance rankings last year were really solid. Uh, Ohio ranked 39th overall in team performance, uh, 34th offensively, 53rd defensively, but they were actually 11th uh, in our defensive team performance against the pass ranking. So. You know, there, there were some pretty, pretty lofty numbers, numbers we're not really used to. They allowed, what, 16 and a half points per game, which is uh, dropped their pers- uh, projected uh, score scoring defense to under 24, which is actually our lowest number in the MAC and in, in our early uh, statistical projections. So, you know, on paper, looks like a, a team that played uh, really great defense, uh, is a consistent tough team, top 40 type team on the field. And so that's why that stats only model has them, you know, as, as a favorite in double digit games that, you know, that, that team performance is about 25, 30% of our overall uh, power ratings number. So it's, it makes sense that they're also in our official projections uh, a favorite more often than not, even though this isn't the most talented team and, and Ohio traditionally is a team that overperforms on the field compared to their talent profile. They only rank 122nd overall in our roster strength numbers. They are 120th on defense and 123rd on offense. So we're talking about on paper, one of the least talented rosters in the country yet, you know, they are expectations are, are much, much higher just because they've been consistent. They've consistently been a winning program. Frank Solich has been there 
for however many years now has had the same offensive coordinator the entire time as defensive coordinator uh, is only in his, his second year calling uh, plays because Joe Burrow's dad uh, retired to go watch Joe Burrow play. Uh, but he's been there forever too. So, you know, they, they've just had the same coaching staff, even though the offenses looked a little bit different over the years, the defenses looked a little bit different over the years. They've been so consistent and they've just done a great job of either finding you know, diamonds in the rough or uh, developing players who can win at the Mac level. And they've been a consistent Mac challenging team. And that's what they look like on paper, at least as far as our projections go right now. But I'm just a little bit worried that those team performance numbers are overinflating Ohio's ranking right now for me because they played three games last year. They played Central Michigan, played them tough, lost. And then they played Akron and Bowling Green. So if you're only going to play three games and two of those are against two of what, the, the four maybe, if we're being generous, worst teams in college football, that that makes me a little bit concerned. How, how much can we really, uh, you know, say that, that Ohio is the, the four, was the 40th best team in college football uh, statistically last year was the 11th best pass defense when two of the passing offenses they played were Akron and Bowling Green. So I, I have my, I have my concerns. I think we're a little bit overflated on Ohio and it, it, it gives me some hope that, that we're not going to be too far off just because it kind of helps offset those really, really low talent numbers but it's a concern of mine going forward. So I'm not going to be very, you know, uh, just in, in, in sort of analyzing Ohio until I see some on-field results. I'm going to be very, very cautious throughout just because of, of last year was even weirder for them than, than most. But there still are some things to like. Demonte Chuggle, one of the better G5 running backs. Uh, Isaiah Cox, very explosive as a wide receiver. Four returning starters, and then they replaced uh, their starting center, Beck, uh, Brett Cottrell, with a really highly rated transfer from Virginia Tech and TJ Jackson. Don't know exactly who's going to play center, but but they've got five good ones and, and some decent depth there, actually. And then defensively, you know, a lot is returning. They, they rank in the top 50 uh, nationally in defensive returning production. But when you look, you know, player by player, three returning starters on the defensive line, three out of four, uh, all three starting linebackers and all four starting defensive backs. So it's a veteran unit that had a good year statistically last year, even if it was a little bit misleading as far as their uh, team performance goes, you know, Ohio is going to be in the mix. Seven, eight wins is not, out of the, the realm of possibility by any means. But I, I'm just a little bit concerned because, as you mentioned, Talent Edge in just three games, the more talented roster uh, in, in just three matchups, I, I have to think we're going to find somewhere in the middle. I think six wins is, is a little more likely. Seven, yeah, certainly is a, is a possibility. But it's, it's difficult for me to trust that they'll be able to get to eight just because of – that last year's team performance uh, number and who they did it against. Uh, Xavier, what do you think about Ohio this year? Like uh, Nick said, we might be a little too bullish on them, uh, but the schedule looks nice. So what do you think? Well, I was going to say, I was, uh, you know, it doesn't really add a bolster Nick's argument when 
you know, he talks about lesser teams when they start off the year with Syracuse and Duquesne. So, it, it, you know, they, they're able to get, you know, their team performance rating after those two games is probably going to be just as high as it is now. Um, so, you know, I think their schedule definitely shapes up for them to have team performances that l- lend to having a higher number of wins for this year. My only concern is, is you know, when you when you're not able to get enough game time in, it's going to be kind of. And wait, I've I've made this analogy before. The whole Navy situation, when you when you get back on the field and you strap it on and you're ready to go, are you genuinely ready for game kind of you know for 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 you know a game like setting? You know, teams do this all the time. You know, they talk about how different game is from practice, and especially when you're playing lower rated teams or you know lesser teams, uh, for lack of a better term you definitely don't feel challenged enough as a player and you don't necessarily always feel ready coming into a year. Um, and so, you know, maybe we see a sluggish start where they start off one and three, you know, then they do play Akron, which I think will help them out, but then they get central Michigan at Buffalo and then Kent state all games in which there are, are possible losses. Um, you know, and then, you know, they don't finish off the season all too great either after their bye week playing Miami of Ohio at Eastern Michigan and then Toledo to wrap up, you know, the, 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 the real tough part of their schedule, you know, and then they play at Bowling Green to finish off the year. I think this is a, you know, I think this is a, a four-win to five-win team. I'm not comfortable saying seven. Uh, I don't know if they'll even make a bowl game this year. I think they're, if they make a bowl game this year, it's going to be because they beat Syracuse. I'll put it to you that way. They're going to have to upset Syracuse to make a bowl game this year to get to that sixth win, in my opinion, uh, because in conference, I just don't see, you know, they, they play a lot of tough teams back to back to back. And, and with that being the case, it's going to be a war of attrition for them all year long. Blessed that they get a bye week in between, you know, the the, the three the three game stint of Central Michigan, Buffalo, and Kent State, and Miami, Ohio, Eastern Michigan, and Toledo. You know, thank God they get an off week in between that uh, to kind of you know allow them to to reset and to you know regain you know uh, some sense of you know where they're at in the season. But if they could, it's a slippery slope for them. If they lose that those three after Akron, it's a real chance that this team only gets to possibly four or five wins this year. So I'm going to go with Nick. I think I, I'm going to go with the under. I think seven's a bit high uh, for a team that only played three games last year. I think seven is a little bit high for me. And, all, and although the talent speaks to a team that can do it, I'm just not sure that they will. Um, when you look at the room on the recruiting trail, really rough. Uh, finished 101st nationally. Finished ninth in the MAC. Um, Signed 19 people, but only brought in one transfer uh, from Virginia Tech. Once again, this is another one of those teams that I think could have done way better in the transfer portal. Um, you know, you only bring in one guy uh, to, to, to help your offensive line. And that was, you know, it was a big gift for, to help them bolster an offensive line. But I, I really thought that they could add some pieces on, on a defense that I feel like needs to take the next step if they're going to win seven games. And for me, a lot of these transfers for them on deep, on the defensive end would have been competition. You know, yes, you don't always have to bring in transfers. You bring in transfers because you think they can start for you. If that's the case, then they're competition for the guy around you. You know, you look at their defensive front. Outside of Will Evans, there's not many guys on the defensive front with, you know, more than, you know, 10 games started. He has 28. You know, the other guy following him on the defensive line has three and two. You know, so that's really concerning uh for me and that would be for some older guys to come in as transfers and make an, uh, make that immediate impact and at least at the very least uh give competitions to some of these guys who played last year so that's where i think they could have done better on the transfer portal like i said i think this is a four to five win ball club though uh going over to the team that we have projected as the best mac team this year is toledo uh they lost two games by three points a piece. They fell short of the Mac championship as a result, 
but four and two was a bounce back year for them. We have them at nine and three, which is our best projected record in the Mac. Uh, eight and a half is their DK win total and nine. We have them favored to win in and 11 for talent edges. The only guaranteed loss in this schedule is against Notre Dame early in the season, Nick. So uh, we expect the Rockets to have a pretty good year here. Yeah, and I might say that that guaranteed losses, uh, maybe, maybe no, selling no, them short a little bit. We have them as, as more than a two touchdown <laughs> underdog, but that's you know week two. Notre Dame's got to replace a lot of. Can we bet some big money on it? Yeah, come on, Nick. yeah. Let's just, uh, uh, put some money where your mouth is on that one, please. Yeah, hey, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen, I haven't seen the line there. But if it's, uh, you know, if if our three uh, projection models line up and and are on, you know, one side, thinking thinking Toledo is going to keep it closer than the uh, point spread that that the experts put out there, then yeah, you know, I will, I will at the time, but. Uh, but no, I'm not going to bet right now that a that more than a two touchdown uh, underdog is going to win outright. But I'm just saying, hey, weird things have happened, uh, and you know, teams that are uh, good uh, power five teams. I mean, is this that much different than this time last year, or or you know, when the the new schedule came out last year, thinking, oh man, there's no way Louisiana beats Iowa State. That'd be sort of in the same realm here as a, a two touchdown underdog. So Toledo's got a chance to be really good. I will say they they are our highest rated uh, MAC team, sixty third nationally, and and I I believe that it's not like Buffalo uh, being in the sixties is, is our second best team. I, I think they're probably closer to eighty than they are to sixty realistically. I think Toledo's got a chance to be a top sixty team. Got has a, has a chance uh, to be. You know, may, maybe they won't make a real run at a New Year's uh, six, but if the Mac were to get a team like that, I could see it being Toledo because they're talented. They're top 70 overall in roster strength, 66 on offense, 71st defensively. Jason Candle, even though he doesn't uh, rank super high in our head coach ratings, is, is among the highest rated in the Mac. He's, he's uh, 80th on our uh, our head coach rankings who only Frank Solich at Ohio is is higher at 58th or excuse me uh also Tim Lester at, at at Western Michigan but a lot of people really like Jason Candle think that he is in line for a power 5 job eventually a big 10 type job uh he's a good play caller he he is a top 40 uh, play caller, according to our numbers, 39th, which is the second best in uh, in the MAC. Only Ohio uh, has a, a higher rated offensive coordinator. So, um, yeah, I think that I think Toledo is the team to be in the MAC, and I think our you know certainly as far as our numbers go, uh, every single category, all three projection models are over the eight and a half, and you know, even even with Notre Dame on the schedule, I think every game on the on the schedule is winnable. And you know, if everything clicked right and they were able to upset Notre Dame, then then we're talking about a team that that at least has the talent to go undefeated. Something's probably going to go wrong. It's incredibly difficult to get through the MAC uh, because so many teams are are you know so evenly matched and and. Uh, familiar with each other and, and all of that. So I'm, I'm not calling for them to go undefeated or even 10 wins or anything like that necessarily. Our projected win total is only a little over eight, but 
Yeah, uh, you know, I, I gave them that extra win in, in our official prediction. I think nine wins is absolutely on the table. I, I think I think they could get to 10. So uh, there's a lot to like. They do lose a starting quarterback, Eli Peters, uh, retired, had a, had a medical retirement in spring practice. But Carter Bradley had a 400-yard game last year in, in uh, relief of uh, Eli Peters is in line to, to be – uh, you know, he's taken over a, a top 10 passing offense basically by by a lot of measures. We had him rank 16th in our team performance uh, passing rankings, but a lot of statistical categories, they were in the top 10. Um, you know, Bryce Mitchell is a deep threat. Isaiah Winstead is a solid uh, Mac receiver. And Denzel McKinley-Lewis is, is, you know, a veteran type guy. They had actually four returning starters at wide receiver, even though they also, you know, bring back Drew Rossi, who had over, you know, 270 snaps as a tight end. So uh, he's going to have a lot of weapons to work with in the passing game. Bryant Kobach was an all-Mac running back, is definitely, you know, if we were to make a, an all-Mac team, preseason team, he would be on my first team, uh, one of the best available in the conference. They bring back five starters on the offensive line, like, more than half the teams do, and they might actually have a, a different guy come in who was an injured starter early last year. Uh, Mitchell Berg missed, missed last year, so uh, he's you know a 700 snap guy at, at left tackle in 2019. So Toledo has everything you could want offensively, and then you know defensively it's it's more of the same two former all mac guys in the front seven jamal hines one of the top pass rushers of any group of five team he's a 100 rated player had 12 production points last year deshaun johnson at the other defensive end 12 production points over a 90 rating all three linebackers coming back uh all five starters in the secondary coming back and including two all mac safeties you know, this this team, there are no weak spots. Experience all throughout. They are actually our number one uh, in returning production defensively with over 100% of their returning production because they did add a couple of uh, transfers to, to boost, uh, one, the cornerback spot, bringing in Ronald Delancey, who is a, uh, you know, 85-rated player coming out of high school, uh, transfer from Nebraska. They brought in Judge Culpepper, defensive tackle, with starting experience from Penn State. So they are, you know, they're solid. They, they brought in even a, a Power 5 transfer at quarterback to uh, give Bradley and, and Daquan Finn, who's had some playing time as well, to, to get in the mix there for the starting job. They brought in Matt Landers, former four-star uh, from, from Georgia, 6'5 target. So there are zero weaknesses on the Toledo roster. Uh, there are you know, a lot of manageable, winnable games on the schedule. They do play three tough MAC opponents in, in their first five MAC games with Ball State, Northern Illinois, Central Michigan, Western Michigan. But the, the second half of the MAC schedule is manageable as you could hope for going into the, the conference championship game if they get there into a bowl game. I, yeah, Toledo's the team to beat, and 10 wins is not out of the realm of possibility. The only other two games we have them as an underdog in are less than two points against Ball State and Ohio. If they split those and lose to Notre Dame, this is a 10 win team. So I I am, uh, I, I don't think I, I haven't done it yet, but I would be willing 
to see what the price is while while Xavier's uh, talking. And uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm going to uh, strongly consider uh, betting the Toledo over eight and a half here because they're just they're the best team right now in the MAC. And and I didn't even say the schedule actually is 130th, the weakest schedule in our FBS strength of schedule ranking. So the the most talented roster in the conference and the weakest schedule in FBS. That's that's a recipe for success there. Yeah, Xavier. I mean. Uh, we probably concentrate a little bit on uh, too much on this Notre Dame game, but they could win literally every single other game on the schedule and no one yeah. would bat an eye. Not, not at all. Uh, you look at their schedule and I, I just don't see, not only is their schedule built to where they don't have really any tough non-conference outside of Notre Dame, but you also look at the way that their, uh, their schedule was built. They have a lot of home games down the stretch. You know, I talked to earlier about how one of the teams had, four road games to end the year. They have four home games to end the year. Um, you know, they have a, an October 30th bye week before their last four games. Obviously that helps a lot to have a later bye week to, you know, saying to lick your wounds a little bit, you know, they, they, they don't face any, you know, outside of really central Michigan, not, not nobody that we would, or excuse me, and ball state, nobody on the road that I would say, well, that's going to be just, you know, too daunting of a task for them to get over the hump. Um, you know, I, and even their home games, I don't really see any of them as trap games outside of maybe Eastern Michigan. Um, but they're going to be really focused on Eastern Michigan because the very next week is Bowling Green. So they have no reason to overlook Eastern Michigan to possibly get to another game. And that's the other thing I really love about their schedule. Their big games are separated be- between anything else. You know, they play Ball State. Their next game is at UMass. They're not going to be overlooking Ball State to get to UMass. You know, they're, they're at Central Michigan. They're, they're not going to be overlooking that game whatsoever. So I really love their schedule. I really don't see them where they where they lose here. Uh, I'm still not going to bet on them to beat Notre Dame. I don't care what the number is, Nick, uh, unless it's astronomical. Unless it's like Notre Dame plus 24 to win that game, you know, something ridiculous like that, then maybe. Uh, but, you know, I think eight and a half wins for them is more than feasible. I think that's maybe low. Maybe nine is where it should be sitting at uh, for this Toledo team. They would have to go. It would really have to be that they hit a rut somewhere in their season where they just can't figure it out uh, for them to to not be able to at least win nine games this year. And I just don't see that happening. The amount of talent that they brought in is ridiculous. And it's funny because, you know, they finished 69 nationally. They're currently ranked 71st nationally for next year. And they were 73rd the year prior uh, than this year. So they're just steady eddies in the recruiting, uh, you know, in, in the recruiting uh, sphere. They finished first in the MAC last year. They finished first in the MAC this year. They're currently ranked third, but it's still early in the recruiting cycle. So let's see what they're able to do again. Um, and, you know, it's funny. I've made the, you know, I've said for a lot of these teams that they didn't dig in the transfer portal enough. The rich get richer here. They they dug in the transfer portal and got talented players uh, for, for Toledo. And, you know, it's funny that the, the, the richer decide to bring in more transfers when you've got teams that could absolutely have need, needed some of these guys. You know, who doesn't need a 6'5", former Power 5 receiver to play on their team? I think a lot of people in the a lot of, there's a lot of teams in the conference that could have used these guys. So it's funny that, you know, a team of Toledo's caliber just went into the transfer portal and was like, we're going to make ourselves better. We're going to add competition. You know, Nick talked about the receiving core. You go over to their receiving court, you know, um, and, and you just see the amount of not only talent, but how many seniors they have. They have three star rece- uh, receivers that are seniors. They, you know, they have one junior. They brought in a junior in Matt Landers. 
you know, they, they continue to just bring in more talent and competition uh, for their talented guys. And that just, you know, that's just going to make their, make them better. You know, the whole saying iron sharpens iron, that's just going to make them better in the long run. So I really like Toledo to win at least bare minimum uh, nine to 10 wins. Real quick. I did put Toledo on the, uh, the betting game thing, but, but uh, 250 uh, pseudo real dollars on, uh, on, Toledo over the eight and a half. Uh, there it was minus okay. one fifteen, and then I did. DraftKings does have it. I haven't looked at other other shops or anything yet, but uh, right now Toledo is a nineteen and a half point underdog. The money line is not available on DraftKings, but uh, nineteen and a half point underdog against Notre Dame, which pretty close to the number you said, Xavier. I mean, what do you say, twenty four, twenty two? I said twenty four. I said twenty four. Okay. So our, our official projection is Notre Dame favored by 15 and a half. So that would be a Toledo plus 19 and a half. Uh, in our, our stats only model, which is uh, only takes no, stats only, right? So, so no talent numbers, no anything else. Actually doesn't even have home field advantage in it the way it's presented right now. Only has Notre Dame by about a field goal favorite. So throw them two and a half for, for home field advantage. That'd be closer to a touchdown, but uh, the talent edge is where it doesn't quite line up. And, and so it's probably not going to be a bet for us during the, the regular season, or at least in all three agree, because as, if talent were the only factor, uh, we'd have Notre Dame favored by over 28. So uh, it's probably not going to line up, but you know, it, it's not, it's not crazy. I, I uh, I'm happy to be on the side of Toledo at this point today, uh, officially going into that game. All right. Last squad up Western Michigan. They started four and lost to Eastern Michigan and ball state. So finished four and two, they did uh, lose a couple guys to the NFL as well. We have them at seven and five DK's number is six. We've got them with favorite to win eight talent edges in nine. Looks like a bettable number, but CK did ask us a question on the squad, Nick, and it's how do, how does Western Michigan replace the production of a guy like Eskridge? I mean, he was just all over the place for them. They moved him from defense to offense to you know back to offense after he played defense. So he's a, a great player. How do you replace a guy uh, the caliber of Eskridge? I think they've got two pretty good options. And, you know, Sky Moore was an all-conference caliber uh, player as a, a redshirt freshman in 2019. Took a little bit of a step back last year with Eskridge back in the fold offensively. Obviously, he was, you know, uh, <laughs> impressive enough that the Seattle Seahawks took him in the second round. He uh, was the highest, rate, uh, highest drafted MAC player last year. But Sky Moore is one of my favorite receivers in, in college football and, and he played outside in 2019 moved into the slot last year and not sure exactly which which spot he'll hold down this season but I expect him to be the most targeted player for Caleb Ellaby who had an incredible year uh, as a, a you know first time full-time starter last season was among the national leaders in, in yards per pass attempt, which is one of our favorite numbers, uh, 11.2 yards per pass attempt with an 18 to two touchdown to interception ratio. Caleb Ellaby was statistically about as good as it gets as a quarterback last season. Yes, it was a weak schedule, but uh, a lot to like there. So he's got Sky Moore coming back, but also people are kind of forgetting a little bit about Jalen Hall. Uh, I, you know, I've seen some references in some preseason magazines and stuff, uh, 
uh, talking about Eskridge, uh, how you how to replace him. It's it's obviously a question on people's minds. But in addition to more, Jalen Hall is a returning starter. Is a six four guy and uh, ranked also among the national leaders in yards per reception. Had almost twenty seven yards per reception, and though he only had twelve catches, seven of them were for touchdowns. And so you have to expect that his target share is going to increase. He was only targeted 20 times last year, but you know, you have to replace almost 50 targets with Eskridge off to the NFL. Jalen Hall is, is in position to take a good bit of those. So I think that's a pretty good one, two combo. You've got the, you know, really athletic dynamic guy in sky Moore. the big target athletic can go and get it in Jalen Hall stretch the field, red zone target, all that good stuff. That That's a pretty good duo. And then Deshaun Bustle has, has had some success in the past, former, you know, part-time starter at least. I, I, I think they're going to be okay. And, you know, keep in mind, they also have a, a pretty well-stocked running back room too. I mean, Ladarius Jefferson got all Mac honors last year. Sean Tyler was basically a co-starter with him. And then Jackson Kincaid, who like uh, Jefferson was a, a transfer in his first season at, at Western Michigan last year, gives them, you know, we, we've talked about a few that have three, four guys in the mix, maybe with the exception of Kent State. I, I think maybe Western Michigan has the deepest group of running backs out there. And, and they did lose, a, you know, their starting left tackle who was uh, also drafted. So, you know, I think they were the only Mac team that, that had two guys drafted. So uh, big holes to fill, of course, but four returning starters coming back. And it, it, it looks like, you know, there's there's somebody ready to step up and, and take that spot. Dylan, I don't think it's actually pronounced death rage, but it looks like death rage. On He's always on the, the like all name teams and, uh, you know, those, those late July, uh, what else are we going to talk about? articles but it looks like he's going to be you know maybe sliding into that left tackle spot and they're I think going to be just fine they were a top 10 offensive line as far as our uh, performance ratings go last year offensively they ranked sixth in offensive team performance they ranked eighth in passing offensive team performance and, and Eskridge is going to be tough to replace he was a just a, a speedster. You got the ball. You could take a quick screen to the house, right? But I, I think Moore's going to be able to kind of take over that role a little bit. Maybe not quite as fast. Maybe not quite uh, as dynamic, but very, very solid. And then Hall, you know, being the the bigger target, uh, I, I think I think they're going to be just fine, especially on offense. Defensively, you know, this this was an underachieving team. They ranked 93rd in our defensive team performance ratings last year. They were 78th against the pass and 55 against the run, but they've got two of the better defensive linemen in the group of five. They have two 100 rated players on our defensive line depth chart. Ali Fayed and, and Ralph uh, Holly, both of those guys have all Mac you know, performances in their past. Fayed's actually somebody that they moved around quite a bit, uh, has played inside, has played outside, has actually played some linebacker as well. So he's somebody that, that you know, can fill in any uh, spot in that, in that front seven or at least, you know, coming off the edge really. But an excellent player, great, great uh, pass rusher, 
you know, was hurt a little bit last year, but he and Holly might be the best defensive line duo in, in the Mac. They're experienced everywhere. You know, Bryson Garner was, was an all Mac selection as a safety coming back as a super senior, but they've got five guys in the secondary who qualified as, as starters returning this past year. So, you know, on paper, this is a defense that has 11 starters returning. We, we, we always talk about it. I don't know if, if necessarily uh, that equates to a much improved team, though, if Fayette is fully healthy, he's a bit of a, a game changer. So uh, I, you know, I think there's a lot to like about Western Michigan. They rank 76th overall in our power rankings, fifth in the Mac. I'd be tempted to move them ahead of Ohio and Buffalo just because we got to see a little bit more of them than Ohio. They've got more coming back in Buffalo, and I think we can trust their team performance uh, rankings just a little bit more, even though you know top 10 offense, top 10 passing offense might be a little bit uh, inflated because of the, the lack of strength of schedule, but – you know, I, I think Western Michigan has some staying power. I think they'll be in the mix in the MAC title race. I, I think they have underachieved a little bit under Tim Lester. Their team performance rankings don't quite line up with their talent profile. They've they've always come in a little bit lower uh, in in years past. Uh, offensively, this past year was a different story, but but on the whole, they only ranked. Uh, 25th in, in overall team performance, and, and that was really carried by that strong offense. But I think that, that Western Michigan is going to be in the mix. They are a MAC title contender. They are in that top tier with Toledo. They are not far off there at all. Um, and, you know, they're, they're going to have a, an opportunity to play for a MAC championship and, and some toss up games, certainly. Buffalo is is uh, the MAC opener. We do have Buffalo favorite in that game. I I would be tempted to say maybe Western Michigan should be the favorite there. Uh, they do play Kent State, of course. They play Toledo. They play Central Michigan. So it's a tough early uh, stretch in the MAC. But if you can get through those, win you know uh, at least split uh, maybe those games that we have them as an underdog against Toledo and Buffalo, you're in a really really strong position with a very manageable November to make a run at, at a MAC title game. So with this offense, assuming they can replace Eskridge, uh, I think it's going to be among the best offenses in the MAC. Uh, defensively, I think that there is, is certainly a chance that they improve. They are one of those teams that we expect to score more than 30 and give up more than 30, a lot of high scoring games. But I, th- I think there's a chance that the defense is actually going to be a bit better than that and uh, especially if, if they stay healthy. So uh, looking at the you know win projection, six seems really low. And we do have you know some folks I've had some conversations with privately who are you know very invested and, and uh, you know sports betters, that type of thing. There's some there's some people who are selling on Western Michigan. Our numbers disagree pretty wholeheartedly. I've actually already put, uh, a bet in on Western Michigan over six because, you know, the three models that I trust, uh, maybe they've got flaws, but collectively, you know, seem to point me in the, the right direction more often than not. All have Western Michigan favored in eight or more games. So, you know, if we get it wrong, we get it wrong. But I think, you know, seven wins 
is is probably the floor here. So even if they lose a couple that they were supposed to win, I, I think you know, I just I just don't see this being a team that's going to have a losing record. Six, absolutely seven. I think is is really uh, on the low side. I think this could be an eight plus win team. Yeah, I mean th- this is. Uh... I, I'm I'm with Nick as far as the ta- there's a ton of talent on this team. They're, they're going to be a fun team to watch. But the first eight games outside of Illinois State, so seven out of the first eight are it's just a brutally tough schedule to open with. I feel like because yep. uh, they got Michigan, Pitt, San Jose State, Buffalo, Ball State, Kent State, Toledo. Like you know, even the games they're favored to win, uh, like against uh, you know uh, Ball State, Kent State, uh, these teams. I wouldn't be surprised if they lost those games. So it's uh it's a pretty tough run even to begin uh Mac play after a tough front there. Yeah, and that's my biggest problem with their with, with you know going over you know what they have listed at six. You know, I yeah, I think seven is is right around where they be, but it's just so tough. You just get no breaks with their schedule. Yeah, after Michigan, you get Illinois State. Fine. That's your last real like break up until you know they have to play Akron in, in, in you know in November that's a lot of tough games that you have to continue to be at the peak of your powers every single night or you're going to lose Pitt San Jose State I know Nick said he thinks Western Michigan maybe should be favored in that Buffalo game I don't know if the difference here is Buffalo being at home but that's going to be really difficult for them you know Kent uh, excuse me Ball State and Kent State you know then they've got Toledo also on the road so both of their two toughest tasks at least in conference are both on the road in my opinion. And that, you know, it's just going to be really tough to see them running that table. It, it just really is. You know, I don't think they'll be pitted away. I don't think that they will be, you know, San Jose state. They may, you know, they, they'll compete with San Jose state. So maybe that game is more of a toss up that I, I, I'm giving credit right now, but to think that they're going to, they're going to be able to go, you know, three and two or four and one to, you know, to in that, you know, in that stretch of conference games is really asking a lot of them, uh, in, in that stretch, you know, and so I'm looking at a team that by the time that they even get to November could be, you know, at, at that point, you're talking about maybe a, a three and, you know, a, a four and four ball club. So, yeah, you know, at that point, maybe Nick's right. They're able to run the table and get to eight wins. Uh, but I'm leaning more that this is going to be maybe a three and five ball club by the time that they get to November and then run the table and get to seven wins. So, yeah, I think they still get over. Uh, that, that six win uh, DraftKings total, but I, I think they get there by the skin of their teeth. So I'm thinking seven wins as well. I can guarantee them eight wins, I think would be very favorable for the kind of schedule that they have. Skin of their teeth counts the same. Yeah. I mean, it, it all kind of, <laughs> yeah. Money's green any way you make it. Right. So uh, I, I like that, but that, that wraps us up for the Mac. Now, uh, before we end here, are there any other bets you guys want to place? Xavier, do you see a bet that you really like you want to place or just the Miami one? I'm going to stick with Miami. I can't spend all my money in one conference. <laughs> I've, got some, I've got some hot takes and some of the other ones we got going on. So I, I, I'm going I'm to stay pat here. Uh, I think I, I'm going to go on the over uh, eight and a half for Toledo. Uh, I, I think I, I'm going to, I'm going to ride with Nick and take that one. I'll only do, I'll do a low total. Uh, I'll, I'll think it over and decide it, but I think I'm going to take that one. Any other bets for you in the Mac, Nick? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm tempted, but I, I do, I do have a, a few of these, uh, lined up so far and 
I'll I'll wait. I'll wait okay. on any more. But but Toledo over eight and a half is is for the the betting game here. I do have some Western Michigan uh, of my own personal that that uh, I'm on the over there. Uh, so I you know if if you could find Northern Illinois somewhere in in you know under four, I do like that. Uh, but I think I think for the MAC overall. Maybe with the exception of, of Buffalo under, but uh, I think it's just right now it's it's not quite Conference USA, but it's wide open enough that there's so many so many possible outcomes. Um, I agree. Yeah, I think I think I'm going to stick with Toledo. Uh, I, I, our numbers do say Bowling Green over. I know that probably makes people sick to their stomach, but <laughs> that, that is a bet for us: Bowling Green over Western Michigan over Toledo over. That's too many overs. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, but but uh, those those are the where where our numbers are at this point. All right. Well, that I will is, say this, Scott. Go ahead, please. <laughs> you, said, you said Toledo over eight and a half. Now, this is a conference that hasn't had a conference champion with double digit wins since 2017. Yeah, so but I'm we saying. looked at the schedule and we said every I'm, I'm game just saying is winnable outside of FBS. According to I, 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 hear what you're I, I hear what you're saying. They're going to be thinks they're going to beat Notre Dame. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, this team's going to go undefeated. They're going to be in the tournament. Xavier, you have no idea. So, uh, obviously, I'm being sarcastic, but that will wrap it up. Look, Nick delivered on his promise well under hey, three hours. A cool so, two hours and 48 minutes. That's right. That's right. Three. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, this is a quick show. So uh, we will be back next week. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me at CFP Winning Edge for Nick at Xavier uh, underscore Trish T R I C H E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFP Winning Edge visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.